How do you do, everyone? My name is... And this is the Bloody Disgusting Network. The succeeding show will fill you with dread. Have a good time. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. Do you want to die, Sydney? It's your turn to scream, asshole. From the streets of Woodsboro. Back to the streets of Woodsboro. We are Halloweenies. It all began with a scream over 911. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Halloweenies. I am one of your co hosts, the ghost face with the most face, Justin Gerber, and we are back in Woodsboro. Wait, wait, wait. I'm being attacked on Twitter. We are actually at the campus of Windsor College, and that can only mean one thing Scream 2, baby. That's right. After a couple of episodes, Talking about those Randy's Rex covering Prom Night and The Howling. We are back to cover all things Scream 2 from the year 1997 in the year of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in some cases. <laughs> Definitely he existed. We'll, we'll, we may never know the other part of that. This film, written and directed by returning champions Kevin Williamson and Wes Craven, respectively. But, but before we roll out of bed, do a prank phone call. Crack open a school book and get ready for our class on film theory. Wait, do people even use school books anymore? That's a good question. We should probably dive into for about 30 minutes later on in this podcast because <laughs> I don't know. Are they just p- cracking open their laptop, their, their, uh, their MacBooks? I think they do, yeah. yeah. All right, well, we're going to yeah. I think it's a hybrid. I'm going to go with hybrid if we're doing prices Right rules. I don't know. My, like my, paranoia, my paranoia would be accidentally knocking my MacBook off my desk, like when I'm sitting down. Mm. You know, that would be my... My biggest fear, or, or cracking open one of those aforementioned school books and knocking over the aforementioned MacBook onto <laughs> yep. the, the floor and, and, and ruining my life. Mm-hmm. But you know, before we talk about MacBooks and Apple products, <laughs> let's go around and discuss the first time that we saw Scream 2, starting with our, our special guest for this episode. Is that me? <laughs> you're you're always the special guest. Oh, <laughs> it's very like special. I get the I get the like end of the credits and yeah. intro and featuring. featuring oh, yeah. That's a number one credit. That's I, primo. I, I, I'll take that credit over anything but top but top billing. Yeah, it, it's one or the other. It's, it's better you know? than second or third billing. <laughs> so this is I Lara Unterstall. Are we doing nicknames? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh yeah. Ah shit, fuck! I didn't think of anything. Uh, I didn't. I didn't uh, really do a nickname. I did the whole ghost face mm-hmm. with the most face bit. Well, that's a. I think that counts. Okay, the, yeah. the, I'll be uh, Lara's Lara's red right hand under stall. Very good, very good. Uh, I don't. I think I just said my last name incorrectly, so we don't need to focus on it. <laughs> we don't need to. What am I saying? How first time I saw Scream yeah, 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 <laughs> Two. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as if you listen to my other podcast, Psychoanalysis with mm. uh, Je- Jen Adams, uh, known to these pods. You will see a running theme, which is that I have no memory of the first time I saw most movies. <laughs> uh, I know I saw Scream 1 in theaters, or at least I like saw part of it in the theater and then left because I was a child and I was scared. 
Is that even true? I don't know. You know, this is what I'm talking about. If there's, you definitely saw a movie sometime in the 90s and, and were scared. You know, it might have been, you know, I know what you did last summer now that I'm thinking about it. Oh, yeah. The point that I'm getting at here is I don't have any strong formative memories of seeing Scream 2 or any of the Scream films. I definitely got into them a, a little bit later. I feel like I actually saw them when they were on VHS, I'm mm. pretty sure. And this is just, you know, if my memory was bad before this last year, it's it's even worse now. But I definitely was a later adoptee of the Scream franchise. Like, I didn't really get into horror until I was a little bit older, probably like tail end of high school, college. And that's when I kind of went back and reintroduced myself to everything. And as we discussed on previous seasons of Halloweenies, my introductory big time horror franchise was Nightmare on Elm Street. So was Craven Connection. I don't think I was able to really appreciate what Scream was doing until I was a bit older, including Scream 2. And I have the most recent viewing of Scream 2 in my head for the other podcast we covered, Sydney's arc with trauma, discussing basically Screams 1 through 3. So I have that really, really strongly in my head. I do really enjoy this movie. I'm not sure where it ranks in the like Scream franchise for me. It's like the one and two feel so connected to me that it's really hard for me to separate them. I think one is probably my favorite. That is a long and meandering and <laughs> extremely entertaining answer to your question that I'm sure everyone enjoyed hearing. Well, again, you mentioned VHSs, which also went the way of school books. They're gone. They, they They're did. all gone. It's, uh, um, it's too bad. We put them all in in the town center and set them on fire. That's what we did. And then there was a group of people in robes who were running by that fire with somebody to crucify Mm. because that person gave away his fraternity letters. (laughs) We'll get to that later on. But before we do that, let's go down to, you know, Mike, do you, is is it, I feel like it's a whole other area, but if I said Southside Chicago, is that an accurate way of describing where you live or are you upset at being affiliated with Chicago at all? (laughs) I'm more upset with, uh, being associated with my neighborhood of Mount Greenwood, which I kind of <laughs> gerrymandered myself into uh, Far West Beverly, which isn't necessarily any better. I don't know how mm-hmm. I stayed on the South Side as long as I. Have. Wait, did you go to West Beverly High? Yeah, basically. Yes. Wow, no, isn't that no. based on Beverly Hills Nine Two and Isn't that where they went? West Beverly, one, the one oh, and only. Lord. Not with the Catholic yeah. High School. Right. I, I, I wouldn't have known what to do if there were girls there anyway. <laughs> you you really like go David to Catholic in season school? one? I didn't. Yeah, know I went to Catholic High School. Indeed. Wow. Wow, we never really bonded over that before. That's interesting. Yeah, I didn't hate it, but like, uh, you know, I always, I do believe that anybody who says that their best years were their high school years really Bullshit. needed to learn how to live in their 20s. Yeah, seriously. Well, I should have asked you this, Mike Vanderbilt. Uh, I'm sorry. That's my nickname is Mike Hans Zimmer's theme from Broken Arrow. <laughs> Thank you. I'll be, I, we will be going over this later on. That has haunted me for 25 years. But, uh, um, same. <laughs> Mike. Real quick, you, I, I mentioned earlier 1997 in the year of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You went to Catholic high school. So where do you stand? I was in, I was, what's that? Where do you stand? On Catholic me, high school. Give me your religious feelings <laughs> right now. Do you right, believe, I, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal <laughs> Savior? Did you, or at one point at least? No, 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 no. Yeah, you only go to Catholic high school on the South Side because it's like the public high schools just ain't that great. Yeah, that's still happening to this very day, unfortunately. The only reason you got my parents never took me to church, they took me to the movies, they didn't take me to church. So, we say your real religion was movies, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna take you to the show, maybe one of those jagoffs, yes, the show, <laughs> the program, the program. All right, Mike, do you remember where you were when you saw Scream 2? 
uh, December 13th, 1997. Mm. Uh, I was working at <laughs> Camelot Music at Chicago Ridge Mall. Uh, obviously, I was, as we talked on the previous uh, episode, this previous stream episode, I was really a big fan of that and was really excited. And this, of course, one year later, I can't remember who I went with, though. But I'm sure it was like my buddy Dan Lynch and my buddy Matt Keisha. We all went to Maris together. And I just remember going to Sony Theaters Crestwood, and there was a line around the theater for Scream 2. And this was, so I turned 17 that June, so... I was always really good about curfew like in Chicago. I don't know what it was like everywhere else, but in Chicago during the week, curfew was 1030 and on weekends it was 1130. I don't think I, I mean, I grew up in Florida, which is a free for all. <laughs> the wild West. I don't remember there being an official curfew for anything. Oh yeah. And I got busted once like as a young, like we're talking like 12 or 13, my, me and my buddy were riding our bikes home in the copper, you know, picked us up and took us to our parents' houses. And uh, even my dad was kind of like telling them, you know, hey, you're kind of wasting your time. These guys were on their way home. They ain't causing no trouble. And we weren't. So I was always good about it. But when I turned 17, you didn't have to worry about curfew anymore. That was, you were legally able to be out all night. So like you could go to later movies. You could go to the all-night diner and not have to worry about driving home and getting hassled by the police. Well, it uh, sounds so it like was, more like the, the town that dreaded 1030. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. But it was, it was, so it was exciting. I mean, you're going to the late night movie and I remember bumping into a bunch of people who I worked with and I was really excited to see it. And I'll tell you right now, I remember walking out of that theater being disappointed and Ooh. I don't think my opinion has changed in the past wow. 20 years. Wow, this is wow. going to be an exciting this be a episode. Hot take. Yeah. This yeah. is good. This is good. I like, I like, I like the differing yeah. takes So This is a very good thing. To I have. promise you, I'm not just being contrarian like I normally do for putting Boxcar Bertha on my Scorsese list and <laughs> telling you that I prefer the works, the solo works of Jermaine Jackson. Oh, I remember to that. Michael. Because yeah, I said, no. that I, I remember saying your hot take was going to be you never care for Janet or Michael Jackson, but you love Jermaine. And lo and behold, you did say, actually, I think Jermaine I, Jackson's I, have, I own several Jermaine Jackson <laughs> records. Fun fact, once again, for anybody out there who doesn't know, Jermaine Jackson, one of the Jackson brothers, one of the Jackson Five, named his son Your Majesty, <laughs> which is the greatest name I have well, uh, that will ever be. I think I'll now Better name, than Blanket? Name I'm, blanket. <laughs> what do you name your, your son? I'm going to name my son Your Majesty. <laughs> <laughs> Same spelling. Yeah, like, no, if anyone understand. questions me about it, I'll be like, it's a... It's a Name is Your it's Majesty. A, it's a real name now. <laughs> it's a great yeah. name. It's been used several times over the last 40 years. I'm going like to name first... my kid Ghostface. <laughs> well, let's talk about Ghostface Sr. Who is this? Uh, who's joining us as well? Uh, <laughs> I would love that if that was in there that, you know, uh, oh, Ghostface Sr., Ghostface Jr. The back of his baseball and... jersey says Ghostface the, the second or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But really, time. I would probably introduce myself as uh, Michael uh, Randy Meeks Rothman, um, mm. you know, retiring the Myers just for this episode. Ooh, I saw this opening night, which was December 12th, 1997. So you must have seen it on Saturday for Vanderbilt. Yeah, because I went to I, see it on a Saturday. Okay, because I... I and it was just funny because I was that was definitely an era when going to see a movie on opening night was everything. Yep. I had oh, yeah. to go see it yeah. uh, as soon as it came out, but I'm assuming I was probably working or something like that. Or everybody made plans to say, okay, but we all we can't all go together until Saturday. So we'll Because you know Saturday. if they had the Friday the 13th, perfect, right? Like they missed it by one day to be able to say like Friday the right. 13th for December, which, you know, oh well. But I, I only remember that date because I, and I have it memorized because I, I remember this film kicked off my habit of like keeping movie stubs. Oh, 
I was oh God, just I used thinking to have those. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've got them in a box somewhere in this house. I because they're all probably all faded out. Oh, at this yeah. Point. Yeah. And mine were definitely faded just because the way where I would keep them is I had a wooden desk and on top of the wooden desk would be this glass layer and you could it was just like a glass slab. So you could slide things underneath it. And I would put all my movie ticket stubs on there. And I just started with this one and it was right next to where my keyboard was. So I would always see the faded Scream 2 ticket and it would say December 12th, 97. And I, and I also remember just because the anticipation was just insane. It was like deafening for me. Oh, same. You know, I, I had memorized the Scream from VHS, which obviously backpedaled me into all my favorite rentals. You know, I went right back into the aisles and re-rented like all the ones that I had been watching over the years, you know, prior to that. And then also like cleaning up a lot of my blind spots. I mean, I literally felt like Randy, you know, I'm not going to lie. Um, you know, I, I was, I was the one that liked horror movies in my class, you know, I'm the one that was the spooky, you know, Tarantino kid as Mickey's just described to in this. And so I, you know, leading this, it felt like my, it felt like a moment for me, you know, and also felt like a moment for myself and Cap Lackard, who's recently on a uh, sleepaway camp, my best friend growing up, we saw this together and you're right, Mike. I mean, everyone was at the movie theater. Like I just it was a party. It was a it party. wasn't quite it was as it wasn't party. quite as wild as the Rialto. No, in, <laughs> for for the no. opening of Stab. No, although I I'm I'm pretty sure I remember remarking after like during the movie being like, oh man, it would have been awesome if like everyone dressed up or like if we had mm-hmm. gotten like free masks or some shit like that. But yeah, also questions about that later on uh, for sure. In the late '90s, not as many people seemed to do that. No, like. And I always wished people did, but now it seems to be more of a thing that people go to the theater dressed up, and I'm I'm here for it. As but the, the but the Happy there. Meal goodie bag thing at movie theaters was a thing because I don't remember if you had this up here, but in I remember that same year in '97 when Return of the Jedi was re released, they actually gave you like a, a limited edition Luke Skywalker. Yes, they did, but I missed it. I uh, it was only at the seven o'clock show. Yeah, and we went yep. out into McClurg Court, which was uh, downtown, <laughs> the th- only THX theater in town. And it played, we saw like the later show in one of the smaller theaters. Yeah. I just remember thinking, like, maybe we'll get something. Is, you know, a goodie. But we didn't. Wasn't disappointed because more, my, I was just mostly anxious because, again, I don't know if this was a territorial thing, but like at that time, and this is even pre Columbine, like it was really hard to get into radar movies. Like it yeah. just, it wasn't easy. And they always had guards outside. And I was so worried because we, we, you know, <laughs> I, even though my parents bought me the tickets and stuff, and we were able to go in and all. I was so worried that they were going to be like, "Oh, where's your?" Oh, because you would have been sixteen. Oh yeah, no, I was. I no, I wasn't even sixteen at the time. I was fourteen years old. Oh, gee. oh <laughs> yeah. So I was young. I was no, young. You weren't, you weren't fourteen. Yeah, you were, you were thirteen. 13. Oh, I was thirteen actually. Yeah, so even oh, worse. Oh my god. So yeah, I was thirteen years old. <laughs> I'm having a moment. Yeah, wild. <laughs> so I was really worried that I wasn't going to get in, and then you know we got in, and it was just. It ended up being one of the most emotional watches I've ever had, all because of one death, and we'll get oh. to that. We'll get to that in a little bit. Yeah, I mean, when I think of Scream, I think of Scream Two, and and it's hmm. largely because of that hype, you know. And it's and it's not just being able to see the movie in theaters, but it really did recalibrate the way that I celebrated horror altogether. It wasn't just about renting movies, but at that time it was like the budding of AOL and online. So like I became obsessed with like looking for news and details and theorizing about the sequel on message boards and like creating my own AOL homepages and making like horror movie stuff. And at that time I was like peak Halloween like fandom. So I had my own Haddonfield, Illinois fan site. Like convinced I was already... I've been to that convinced I've been oh, to I'm that sure. website in the nineties. There was only like three or four Halloween <laughs> sites at the time. And like, that was, I was just obsessed. I mean, every day on my computer downstairs, just talking about horror. So it really did change my way. And 
I look back now and I was thinking about it while watching this. This really was like the breadcrumbs of me being an online writer because even at age 13, I had my own like horror newsletter that I sent out every week. Um, I remember was, you talked a lot about this on the, uh, the Halloween episode. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. And it really does tie into Scream too. And so I got a lot of love for it. And this movie on a personal level means the world. But I also think narratively, I think it's a better movie. But I'll go in, I'll get into that in this episode. Well, definitely keep that take. I'm looking forward to discussing that but as I'll, we go I'll, on. I'll, I'll close with this. I'll close with this. I Greatest love... horror movie of all time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but the, the thing, the thing <laughs> that's... No, gonna... It's no zombie island, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. But I'll, the, the thing that, that really fuels my love for this is that I love the magic of reunion. So I'll leave mm. it at that. I'll leave it at that. Oh, so. I remember you teased earlier that you were going to bring up the magic, the magic somehow in this. Yeah. Mike, I think your stream too for me was Scream because I, I'm, I'm a few years older than you. As you yeah. know, I went to go to the, the Nickelodeon to watch the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> but I'll say that when I saw Scream, you I... You your uh, penny farthing there. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yes. Oh, I went to the show to see Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> well, with, with and whatever change I left over, we would go to the railroad tracks and throw the pennies on there and watch them stretch out. Justin almost pissed himself the first time he saw that train coming at him. Well, I did. My suspenders yeah. almost blew off my pants. I mean, it was unbelievable. No, but for me, Scream was my Scream 2, as it is for you, because I had been living for a few years, you know, watching the Fridays, the Nightmares, the Halloweens, all those other horror movies. And this is the first time I was able to kind of come in at ground level, you know, for Scream. But the Scream 2 anticipation was absolutely there. I remember, I'll be fairly brief, it was December 12th. 1997, maybe the Lord and Savior. We don't know. And uh, grandfather time, in, the year we had to wait. Re- we, we had to wait for the later showing because I was in. Um, we did like a December production for our musicals that year, and I was in The Music Man that year. So we had to wait, but we were like, "Oh, I can't wait for this to be." It was like opening night, I think, too. But we were more looking forward to going to see Scream Two afterwards. So we were Perfect. all pumped up and ready to go. Keep in mind, you know, most of us like 16, 15 at this point. And in my case, I was 17. And we, I didn't have a credit card or a debit card to, to go no. online. If we could even go online to buy tickets ahead of time, I don't think I even no, had, had crossed our minds. So I remember so, I had to go for Independence Day. I hmm. drove to the theater yeah. to go buy the tickets. We'd have to wait in line like back in the day. Two folks. days prior or whatever, whatever they went on sale. I, I had like my my parents' minivan, you know. We we were driving <laughs> up. It was like five of us in that. There's like other cars following behind. We were on our way, and Scream Two is showing on like ten screens at AMC Pleasure Island Twenty Four, which had just become Twenty Four Theaters a couple years earlier. I mean, I remember all this vividly. And we get there, and we're pumped up, and we get there, and there. I was, I'll never forget like all of the lights were just flashing, sold out, 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 sold out. And man, I was so angry. To put a real thud at the end of the story, uh, a couple of us went the next afternoon for the matinee, which was still fairly crowded, which was still fairly crowded. Uh, this would have been December 13th when Mike Vanderbilt saw it. We saw it. You saw You saw. You saw Scream 2 before I did. It's like an American tale over here. You know, somewhere out there, you were looking at the same screen. You were looking at Mickey and, and, and Mrs. Loomis as I was. But... I, I still really enjoyed it. And I think I was kind of stunned at the end of the movie about how much I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I, I'll just say, I don't think it's as good as Scream, and we'll, we'll get into that later on, but I do think it's one of the better horror sequels in general. Not just of the 90s, but I think just looking at all the other horror movies out there, um, it's still pretty good. I think it holds up pretty well. It was fascinating to really do a deep dive into 
I, I can't believe this movie was successful at all. When yeah. you read the, you, you think Scream had problems uh-huh. going into production and during that production, <laughs> but this, the turnaround for this movie is akin to one of the cheaper. I say that with all affection. Uh, cheaper Friday Thirteenth movies from the eighties. Like the turnaround was well, the, incredible. The, like uh, what was it? Nightmare on Elm Street two came out. I'd say mm-hmm. almost the exact same length uh, as it took Scream two to come out to the original Scream. Like yeah. literally, like less than a like just a less than a year. I know it's you know, and uh, I would say Wes Craven's can you get credit for that too? But I realized Jack Shoulder directed Nightmare on Elm Street yeah. part two, so <laughs> Wes had already run away to do. To finish up, I think Hills of Ice 2 or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. Eesh. With that Oof. flashback. Oof. You gotta love that doggy flashback. I love oh, doggy flashbacks in movies. Anyway. <laughs> oh, we have our own personal dog for the podcast. Well, <laughs> this has been a wonderful time going down memory lane. And let's uh, take a turn because up ahead, I think we've got a top story. Hi, this is Gail Weathers with an exclusive eyewitness account of this amazing breaking story. I don't know what that transition meant. <laughs> Yeah, so, I know. do I, is it me? Is it me seeing like there's trouble or like there's something? Oh, something's interesting around the corner. We should go there, and because it could be newsworthy. I think so. Is that what I'm trying to say? Is that or are you like watching news at a bar? You know, mm. and like, oh wow, top story just came in. I'm like uh, Peter Vincent in Fright Night Part Two over here, <laughs> looking at the uh, the the woman that's taking over my job. Oh, well, anyway, where the hell were we? Conveniently placed. I, yes. Yeah, it's right here. Perfect. I always have my notes about those jokes. They're all they're pasted up here like Marlon Brando on the set of Superman and the Godfather. Like all my all my Jesus. all my improv is actually just right uh, taped against the wall. Um, you just pull one note off yeah. and then you combine it with another note. Uh, That's yeah, comedy, baby. I'm Hollywood. like, great. I, I got in my Johnny Carson talks Fright Night Two anecdote bit in. Okay, done. Okay, I've got. Don't worry, I've got 35 more to go. Uh, so let's talk about a little news. Not a lot, but oh. but an article. By Brad Miska on Bloody oh, Disgusting. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Yeah, I've ever heard of that website. They had the, the following biggest horror ex- site on the internet. The best, yeah. the best in my humble opinion. They had the following exclusive news that was picked up by a lot of outlets. He says there are not only multiple versions of the Scream 2022 screenplay. Five Scream. Or five, yeah, five, 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 five Cream. It's Five Cream. Five cream. That's yeah. We gotta call it five, five cream. cream. Get on top. Why do we have? Why do we have to call it that? Oh, because Jack Quaid on set. The, the, he's gonna be in the new movie. There was a running joke that you know the five would be in there instead of the S for the logo. Right. Oh. Okay. And so, yeah. they, they didn't end up doing that. But five so on, cream. Uh, I, it all yeah. makes sense to it's, me now. Okay. Now. Thank you for you know elaborating. Okay. It's not it's total perversion. It's on our yeah. end. We're just we're paying homage to. The, the, it sounds like this cascaded a great old time on Scream 2022, <laughs> aka Five Cream. Five Cream. Um, so the boogie bop. Th- there are multiple versions of the screenplay, but also the movie, with the purpose to obfuscate fans who want to spoil the final product. So even if stuff leaks, you're not going to really know if it's true or not. So keep that in mind, which is good. I think it's a good thing because the movies can get become undone or go into production hell, such as Scream 2, when stuff like that happens. And uh, they actually did similar tactics, I think, for this for Scream 3. Because of what happened on stream too, right? I'm pretty sure that happened. There's always so. different colored pages, yeah. and I feel like this is the, the beginning. Star Wars movies do that too. But this is the beginning. I think Scream two and three of the, like you said, like the the copies with the people's names on it, kind of splashed across. So if it leaks, you know who's in trouble. Yeah, like it was the beginning of that era. Was the late. This 90s. is one of the first big internet leaks. I think Scream two is. I feel like this was the big first internet leak. 
Because when you think about it, I think I've only been using the internet for maybe two years at this point. Yeah, this maybe. is the first big one. Yeah. yeah. I think I was using like Prodigy. I was on Prodigy. We probably were on the same message board, you uh, and me. You and me, Mike, December 13th on the same message board talking about. Mike's just um, like, that was shit. No. <laughs> but like and, and, as replies. I've been saying, <laughs> yeah, what the fuck? Randy, Randy. Are you kidding me? Um, but again, and I, I, I've been saying this for the last couple months, the less news, the better. I, I, want, I want to go in this movie yeah. as fresh as possible. Now, granted, once again, they're going to show every single scene. They're going to release, you know, 35 scenes leading up to the movie's release. They're going to do the trailer. No, Maybe they'll do not. the trailer. And guess what? The, this is where you get to really get the fun of doing this podcast is when you have to analyze every part of that, that trailer, <laughs> you know, which we did <laughs> for Halloween. Be, you know what? Though, I mean, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. The original trailer for Scream 2 was just Randy. Dewey and Randy. Yeah talking in the, the, the diner and, there like were flashes. Maybe, and maybe there maybe they'll be more savvy with this one since they're being so protective of this script not to reveal too much you know it'd be really so. clever because they know it's a moneymaker they know mm-hmm. this is a moneymaker you don't yeah. have to show us anything and everybody's going to be there opening night right i mean especially coming out of the like pandemic like no movies mm. you know kind of thing they're, they're like banking on this yeah yeah Absolutely. i would this is how i would do the trailer for this you mm. get you get jamie kennedy and Dewey uh, or David Arquette to reprise that same exact scene, but they're talking about <laughs> Scream Five. That's really funny. That's, That's really pretty good. And they, can, and they can make a joke about how he was killed off. Like, what are you even doing here? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, well, yeah. we're in hell. Yeah. <laughs> it starts burning. Like, uh, Randy yeah. was a bad boy. Uh, so yeah, not a lot of news. I'm not sure if we can probably move on. Actually, if unless anybody has anything else to add. Right, that, that's it. That's, What's I we, checked what, the last what, month. What I find interesting is that there's still a lot of things to be confirmed. Like, you know, is Marco Beltrami going to come back and do the score? You know, like that mm-hmm. hasn't been confirmed yet. And there's a part of me that watching it, even you know, having revisited these these movies for this year, where I'm like, is this the time to kind of move away from that? You know, do some maybe bring in a different you know composer, really kind of distance yourself from the original ones, or would Marco Beltrami and like trying to keep more the connective tissue of the original ones be vital for the film i don't know i I just think it's interesting that i mean usually composers are pretty much announced last minute like that's not really like a new thing but i was just kind of surprised that it hasn't been confirmed that he's they're going to use the face-off score (laughs) yeah (laughs) much to pay homage to stream to using the broken arrow music or maybe they'll use like the dunkirk theme or something like that you know for like two (laughs) characters or something yeah you're like hans zimmer's like you know the ending (laughs) with like you know when tom hardy's landing there with like the fire like just use that that would be like a nice homage to how they well, use the Broken Arrow one. I wouldn't be surprised if it just because it seems like it's going to be a radio silence movie, you know, mm-hmm. with the director and, and the, the rec- directors and the writer is a plural. Uh, they might just bring back some of that crew too. Maybe this will be a commentary on true reboots. Mm, yeah. Even though Scream Four, well, you know, we'll talk about all the reboot stuff in Scream Four <laughs> later on uh, this fall. Coming at you, fall twenty twenty one. All right, well, let's move on to our next section because. There was obviously huge news around the corner, as we all saw and bore witness to, and a crime has been committed. We, we need to report this crime to the uh, Woodsboro Police Station. Okay, everybody listen up. Let me just say, uh, the killing of these, these teenagers has been tragic, but uh, hey, you know, shit happens. Sheriff, I'm sure calling the cops is going to age really well yeah. <laughs> for this podcast episode. <laughs> um, but so let's let's talk a little bit about the history of this movie. And anybody, feel free to jump in if you want to correct me. If you want to if you want to add something on. If you've got something stapled to your wall like I do, notes wise, please let, let jump in. 
I um, I got one. I got where oh. horror was. I don't know if you wanted to. I did like a little kind of. I yeah, always yeah, do the rundown. Let's do a precursor. Let's do a precursor. Okay, so um, I, I love kind of figuring out, especially as we've gotten deeper and deeper into like the history of these things. Like I love just looking at like the context of horror in general, and mm-hmm. I think there's this assumption with Scream when it came out that was like, oh well, everything was Scream, or like there was slashes galore. There was horror was huge, and it's like that was true, but not ex- it wasn't immediate. And so when you're looking at 97, like horror is back on the map, but really only in the discourse. Because here's the lead up to Scream 2. And yes, I'm including straightforward thrillers. So don't be surprised if you see like switchback in here. Perfect murder. <laughs> yeah. Switchback. Yeah, right. So I have a switchback story we can, I can tell you later on. I, I did too, actually, funny enough. It involves dimension films. So here are the movies from uh, actually order of release. Uh, the Relic. Peter, the great Peter Hyams. Hey, Peter I, Hyams like, good. I like the relic. Chicago. I like the relic. Um, yeah, it's all field. Yeah, there's a ton of yeah. Chicago stuff in that movie. Turbulence, Blood and Wine, Lost Highway, Leprechaun 4, David Cronenberg's Crash, Anaconda, Stephen King's The Shining, which would be in, you know the TV McGarris's version, Breakdown, Buffy the Vampire Slayers, uh, the series debuted that March on the WB, uh, now CW. And that's just the first half. And so the second half, and this is getting closer and closer to Scream 2, is Event Horizon, Mimic, Snow White, A Tale of Terror, The Game. Wasn't that straight to video? It was. Yeah, I'm including okay. some of those too. Um, no, that was Sigourney straight to Weaver. Showtime. That was straight oh, to yeah. Showtime. That's right. That's right. Wishmaster. All <laughs> that theaters. Kiss the Girls. Oh, Absolutely. God, yeah. mm-hmm. U-Turn. Oh, never saw it. The Devil's Advocate. Oh, uh, yeah. Now that I remember seeing yes. in theaters. I don't know why, but I did. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was going to yeah. say, if you saw oh, it with no. your parents and it's all the sex, that's a little awkward. I saw awkward. it with my mom and mm-hmm. it was humiliating. Oh. Yep. Oh, yeah, my God. Exactly. <laughs> I know what you did last summer. Yep. Oh, mm-hmm. keep that in mind. Red Corner. Switchback. Well, hold on, hold on. We can't throw know, a red corner red... and say, let's say oh, all the presidents, men. I know. Well, it's a thriller. So I, threw, I, I, I was on the fence on it, so I, I put it on anyway. Okay. We're going back into horror, though, I'll after Switchback. I'll allow it. Eve's Bio. I, you know, um, I heard that's great. I've never seen it. I, I heard it's actually really that. good. Wow, great. I completely yeah. like repressed that whole movie until you just said those two words. Well, Lara, <laughs> it's funny because I, I did the same thing with this movie. Alien Resurrection. Alien Resurrection, yeah. yeah. Mm. Oof. So my takeaway here is... But you, forgot, one... uh, you forgot Witchcraft 9, Bitter Flesh. Oh, okay, yeah, Witchcraft 9, and I didn't really wait, go that deep you, you into the, some of the fucking director hold, video. Wait, hold everything, hold everything. You said Witchcraft 9, Bitter Flesh? Yeah. <laughs> good title, good title. <laughs> okay. Sure. Anaconda came out that year. I said that. I said that. You did. I miss it. I'm sorry. Rainy day when I saw that one. Yeah. Every time I hear the word anaconda, I hear the entire verse of my anaconda. Don't want unless you got buns. Right. That song was just on basic radio. Like those lyrics are just on like every day. Hey, it's four o'clock, kids. Yeah. No. No. No radio edit for that one. No. No. God bless it. Continue. So out of all those movies, really the only one that I'd link to Scream is I know you did last summer. You know, well, and yeah. here's the, the rest thing, of like, it's kind of more fallout from that early 90s is. that we've talked it about. It is. So I think yeah. this is emblematic of the sense that Scream really did take Hollywood by surprise because we don't really actually see the cash ins for Scream until like 98. Mm. And I think in hindsight, that really worked for Scream 2's favor because we didn't get tired of it. Yeah. We didn't get exhausted by the formula. Like it didn't seem, everything still seemed fresh. Mm-hmm. And I just don't see that as much anymore. You know, like when was the last time that happened where like something hit big and by the time we got to the sequel, we weren't already kind of, you know, done to death on it. With, well, that's like, the key, Mike, because I mean, that's I mean, 
the Weinstein's are the Weinstein's. We know we we got to that in the last episode, yeah. but they were their savvy for business was was on was on track. I mean, mm-hmm. that's why they had such a quick turnaround because they knew they knew that people were going to start to try to capitalize on this. They couldn't wait two years. You can just they imagine had... them like screaming at people on the phone, like making <laughs> this oh, happen. I, yeah, I said December. The, mm-hmm. December 12th, 13th, the matinees for people who couldn't make it to the 12th. <laughs> like, and I don't know if things have changed with this, but there's just a short, <laughs> there's just a short window for, you know, the public interest in exactly. something. Yeah. Even, even then when we weren't so inundated with everything on our phones and everything else, and we were just depending on the internet and our low speed internet, might, might I add for you children out there. Um, they called it dial up. Yeah, that's right. And, it was uh, dial up. And you always you, held your if breath. Your, if remember? your parents tried to, to call someone while you were using <laughs> oh. it. They'd hear a bunch of noise on the phone. 28.8 BPS. Oh I would always God. hold my breath listening to that dial tone. Like, mm-hmm. please go. Something, cause sometimes yep. sometimes it wouldn't go through. Wrong. Yeah, yeah. That mm-hmm. third window in AOL sometimes yeah. wouldn't show oh, up. Oh, yeah. Because I was also AOL. We were early adapters of oh, yeah. AOL. So, you right. know, got my first dick pic at age 12 through an instant message. Oh, oh my God. It downloaded oh. really slowly, and I didn't know what I was looking at, so it was like the top of the torso, <laughs> oh and it was like, ding, 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 ding. Oh, my God. And then it's I like, freaked out music. and closed it, and then I didn't know that it was like still open somewhere on the computer, and my dad oh. came home, and a few oh. hours later, he was like, Lara, uh, were you on the internet? And I was like, yes, I don't know what it was. What is it, Dad? And then, anyway. He's like, don't worry, Anaconda's coming out in a couple months. It was, it was an ad. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> He's trying to soften the blow here. When I first learned what an anaconda was. Oh, <laughs> Lord. oh my Lord. Well, I'm so sorry I went there, but you know, no, these please. are my that's, early, my early uh, that's internet nothing. memories. Trust me. Uh, you remember that, but you couldn't remember exactly when you saw Scream well, Two. But several years after that, so that's I, was, true. I was too young. I was a little. I was 12 years old when this movie was in oh. theaters. So you know. Mm. What's that internet meme about? Uh, you know, have you ever had great sex, or is it the uh, the third window on the A, or have you experienced <laughs> yeah, the third yeah, window yeah. on AOL? Sure, it's great, but have you yes, yes. Have you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> on the third window, there's always that the dialing disappeared. So yeah. now you're just oh. waiting, yeah, you're, you're waiting like, to see <laughs> is it going to disappear? And the whole thing's going to pop up. <laughs> anyway, we were very listen. That's why we maybe that's why we're bitter as we get older because it really is a case of you don't know how difficult things were. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I remember when Napster first dropped and I put, I was like, finally, I can download Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. And I like started downloading 1979 and I had to wait until like after school for it to like show yeah. up. That was the first MP3 yeah. I ever downloaded. But. I remember downloading Gish just to have it on CD and I didn't realize until like I had done the whole thing and it wasn't even really Gish. It was just all <laughs> yeah. like a, like a radio acoustic live versions of yeah, songs from just Gish. Just a mess. Oh, that's awful. A mess. Because um, you never knew. Yeah. You know what you were going to get. Knew. Yeah. Uh, but um, and it, what, as what, we all know, uh, "Brown Eyed Girl" was done by Jackson Brown, mm-hmm. according yep. to Napster. Yep. That's right. <laughs> they would always have those fucked up titles. And most of Sublime's acoustic songs were, you know, Kurt Cobain demos. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, the early... better deal. Yeah, uh, yeah. there <laughs> was a the old switcheroo. Yeah, <laughs> a quick audio galaxy story from my twenties. Like that's how I discovered uh, one of my favorite uh, Illinois bar bands, Pez Band, because I got into them through Cheap Trick. And but the only recordings that were on for download were off of somebody's old records, and there were skips on it. Oh, so mm-hmm. now when I listen to the songs, you know these great digital files or to my records, it's still weird. Yeah. When the record doesn't skip where I mm. expect it to. 
Yeah, yeah, I had a I lot of burned CDs in the early 2000s that had skips in them, and I would burn them for my friends, and then we all had the version with the skips in it, mm-hmm. and I still hear, like, if I think of Rancid, I have a similar... <laughs> you're waiting for it, like, you're yeah, on you're edge, like... <laughs> and then it doesn't happen. Yeah. I um I uploaded, I still have it, because I've, the way I've said my Apple Music is that I've uploaded all my burned CDs from even 20 years ago onto my Apple Music, onto my phone. Oh, boy. So there are still some old CDs I have that you still hear the skip. Mm-hmm. Even on Apple Music, wow. it's so strange. Jesus like Christ. I can't even imagine listening to some of those without that weird pause or you know. Well, this has been 1997. Well, welcome back to Uncle Corner with me. Yeah, this is called Dial Up, Dial Up, Dial Up Daddies, Dial Up Daddies, Dial Up Dilemmas. Oh, so Scream Two. Like that's cool to set up to see where we were at the time. So. As we discussed in the Scream episode, when Williamson pitched Scream, he actually had kind of a trilogy in mind to begin with. And so he had already given notes yeah, about so that. Yeah, so did Lucas. Bullshit. Yeah, well, well he, I, I believe Kevin Williamson more than I believe uh, Papa George. Papa Giorgio. But he had pitched Scream as having, you know, maybe two or three movies, a series of movies, which he also gave notes for. So even though Scream came out in 1996 in December, and then in March, they were like, okay, green light. Oh, good. This has to be completed and released in nine months. People can have I'm children, you know what I mean, him, before that happens. You know I'm surprised so, it took them till March to greenlight it. Uh, so I know. I. Yeah. Well, who knows what they were up to? Well, if you uh, think about it, it so months. the original one came out on December 16th. So it's like mm-hmm. box Less office returns come in like a, a week or two after that. Well, here's the thing, Mike. The box office for the first movie, it only made, I think, seven million its opening right? weekend, which and is still it, above it what gradual. they thought. It was a gradual thing. It was kind of like the Austin Powers thing where it did pretty good in theaters, but then it landed and then or it and got then re-released. The, re- the re-release. The re-release mm-hmm. really went to another level. So, To um, be fair, that's what happened with Titanic the same month that Two Scream 2 happened. I remember when it first came out, it did make a big splash, no, no pun intended. It, and I remember it tied <laughs> or barely beat Tomorrow, Tomorrow Never, Never Dies. Dies by like $4 million yeah. opening weekend. Yeah. And then it just fucking steamrolled through it. Both of those movies moved their release date because uh-huh. they were Scream terrified two. of Scream 2. How about that? Hilarious. And How Titanic was supposed to come out that July, yes? Because mm-hmm. it kept getting yeah. delayed because of all the, you know... Wow, a Cameron movie getting delayed. We all know that, right? <laughs> huh. I remember the, the that summer, all the, so big, all the big soda cups at the, mm-hmm. the AMC Crestwood were Titanic, and they would have the date of, like, I think it was July 4th. Yeah, and the cool catch about those cups is that they wouldn't allow you to have any ice in it. <laughs> Thank you, oh, everybody. Lord. Yep. Take, that, uh, take yep. that note down off the wall. Oh, hey, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> my, my iceless Titanic cups. All right, we got it. Uh, here's, here's, talk about the internet. All right, so Williamson presented Wes Craven and other members of the production team from, you know, from Dimension Films. It wasn't really the full script. It was kind of like almost like an outline slash there was some dialogue, like 30, 40 pages worth. And Wes Craven said that they all loved it, but basically, like right after that happened, it, it leaked. No, no, it's not. It's it's not that sh- short though. It is ninety-seven oh. pages. It's fucking big. Oh, it is. So, all right. So, well, okay, Mike. This might be where the confusion sets in, though. Yeah. So, because there were also some other drafts that were full that that leaked, but those were never going to be the real drafts. So, what's those interesting? Were dummy what's interesting here is that. Yeah, it's very hard to kind of decipher like what is right and what is wrong, especially in this era of really was misinformation at that time because it was just coming from so many different weird, you know, wacko sources. The script I read that was is 97 pages and literally has a footnote 
that includes like, oh, Wes will make things scary. Yeah. <laughs> this is how things are going to do. You know, this is how it's going to end. So I think this was actually the real script. The, the thing is that... Wait, who's the killer in that script? Well, they have four of them. So that's the thing. Um, okay. It's a cascading, you know, reveal. But Derek is in there, which was supposedly the dummy script. So... Yeah, that, here's, what I, here's what I got here for my research. Is that, as for the alleged proper script and drafts that are out there, that, that leaked, Kevin Williamson said, for a 20-year retrospect on Stream 2... Four years ago. God, this movie's already almost 25 years old. He interviewed with, with Judge Central. He said that specifically the Hallie and Derek ending was a dummy draft. At okay, the time so that's the what script, this is at. Well, yeah. He said at the time the script was written, the studio was determined to keep the plot details under wraps. There was even a fake ending where Dooley was the killer in one of them. Nope, not that. He said that they all existed as, all the scripts existed as decoys and nothing more. Extreme measures, but we really wanted to keep the killer's identity a secret. So here's the thing. and I, I'm, The I'm outline go... draft, the outline that initially leaked was... Mrs. Loomis, Cotton Weary, Hallie, and Derek as the killers. So that's the thing I read. And the thing is, and I'll I'll do a really, really quick run on this just because I think it's important to show that, like, the script that was leaked out there, it's like 80% of the movie, if not 90% of the movie. Mm. You know, the characters are a little recalibrated, like Citizen Film School with Derek and Mickey, which is kind of, that doesn't make any sense. Randy's Gail's cameraman. Dewey is security at the school to be close with Sid. Cotton Weary is hanging out, but he's more sinister. Like, Joel is pre-med. Hallie's mostly the same. Uh, but she's... The rushing is, like, for Delta Zeta is, like, really embellished. Like, there's, like, a weird scene where, like, Sid... I just couldn't even imagine this going on screen. Like, Sydney and Hallie have to, like, eat a bunch of macaroni and cheese really fast. And it's just like... <laughs> this is this never would have happened. That's, like, the That's one like still released. <laughs> it's a yeah. weird. It's weird. But then, like, Debbie's a little more in your face. Like, literally, like, like uh, really goes after Sid more. And then Gail actually punches... Debbie like and defends Sydney a little bit. She's a little more defensive. Everyone's really, really, really coddling Sydney in this script. Hmm. And then the sequences are mostly the same, same opening, but there's no bathroom stall. They they literally kill, you know, the character like outside of the bathroom. The film class chatter is the same. The teacher recommends Godfather Part Two, actually. Cece dies mostly the same way, but is thrown through a sliding glass door instead of off of the, the balcony. Oh. And this is actually where Williamson drops the West does really scary shit here. I don't know what that is. Well, it's, he probably just means right like, in after terms the, of the killing. The, after, yeah. <laughs> like after he says that that Cece gets thrown through the sliding glass door, he's like, "Eh, you know, this isn't really great." So Wes will do something. Here. Yeah. So maybe it was Wes that came up with the, the throwing. And right. then what's really interesting is that they actually use Cece's body as a prop at the party that Sydney's at. You know, when Sydney goes back inside and Derek is outside, she's oh. supposed to run outside and run into the body that's like strung up on a tree, which would have been actually pretty cool. That's very. Well, that would be a callback to Casey. Yeah. The first one, yeah. right? Exactly. So then they really play up with the fallen detective with Dewey, like being dismissed, like non, like not, he's very nonchalant, like walking around, like as the security guy with like, he pretty much has like all the details. He's almost kind of like the Randy in this and no one's really like paying attention to him. He's actually like competing for time with Gail. And there's a lot of, you know, they still play up the fact that they're like kind of like a pseudo couple here. The script really leans into the copycat narrative, which this movie kind of dumps away like halfway through like yeah, yeah. it's there and yeah. then it's gone and it really doesn't make any sense so yeah, yeah really, it's really one of the thinner parts of the script it definitely yeah. is it definitely 100%. is but they, this one really goes into the idea that like it was copycat and because of randy and randy goading the killer on the phone saying like oh how could you not be original he kind of the, the killer starts breaking pattern after that which is kind of cool I, ha- I had that in my notes is like well i mean we can get into it later but when i noticed for the, like maybe the first time that randy is talking shit about billy 
right yeah. when he gets pulled in by the killer mm-hmm. so i was like is that why randy died so i wonder if that was like a remnant of so that. randy was always gonna die he was the right. film he was gonna he was a cameraman so it actually made more sense that he died in the camera van okay yeah so then uh, here's here's a funny thing that i didn't realize so tori spelling was actually written in the script robert rodriguez is written in the script as the director of stab but and I really wish they would have made this happen. And I know Wes could have made it happen if he got some calls done. Johnny Depp was supposed to be uh, Skeetle Rex. Uh, <laughs> oh, that would have been that would have very been funny. Very, he would have actually. Uh, yeah. I love Luke Wilson in that role. He's I do so too. funny. Yeah. I mean, just the way that he goes like, ah, oh, stupid. And like That's slaps the himself. the cookie crumbles. <laughs> yeah. I, I, he's hilarious. <laughs> but it would have been way more like on brand and meta to have it be Johnny yes, Depp. Yes, right. <laughs> Indeed. So then Mickey does the song for uh, Hallie in the lunchroom which really makes no sense and it comes out of nowhere and it's not i think i love you it's i will always love you and there's like this whole like bodyguard bodyguard there's a lot of bodyguard bodyguard right before that because they're talking about the cops yes yeah yes and then there's Mm -hmm. a really weird scene where like randy takes sid to see stab in theaters and that's kind of where you get the whole like cotton confronting Sydney scene mm. that you get in the late library later on. So you could get a sense that like a lot of these ideas that actually leaked were really in the movie. The dialogue's really weak, really rushed, and you could tell Williamson is just like vomiting shit on paper. The police car scene is different too. It's actually a little more chaotic, and I kind of like it a little bit. Like Ghostface actually kills the two officers inside really fast, and then takes the dri- driver's seat and drives around with Sydney like all throughout the town, like like uh, weaving through things, and then Sydney escapes by taking a pencil and shoving it into through the 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 the, the grate into mm-hmm. uh, ghost face and then that's when they crash and you still get the whole like very mid-90s setup where like she has to crawl over him and, and yada 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 this is where it gets crazy and this is where you can tell like williamson's probably on deadline and he's like okay i gotta get something to them like dewey actually dies the same way the sound booth thing is gail is like running around you don't you get a sense that he doesn't really know where gail's supposed to be at that point because they're they're investigating the the footage just like they do in Scream Two, and then Sydney is actually being attacked by two Ghostface killers at once, which is kind of surprising that this franchise has never done that yet. Is this the same script where um, Timothy Oliphant gets killed by the two Ghostface? No. Uh, yes. Yeah. So at the same time. Yes. Yes. Because he gets he he's the Derek in this so he's actually chained to the tree and there's like a really great scene where like sid's trying to get him out and using a shovel to break the chains and then the ghost face is like like ghost face attacks her and then she runs away and runs into another ghost face and you have two ghost faces that are literally going after her and then they eventually kill and like gut the hell out of mickey or one ghost face in one grandfather time pardon yes me. exactly which Again, I'm surprised they haven't done that yet on this. Like, that's kind of a well, cool thing. Hold, don't hold your breath. I, I know, guarantee it's going to happen in the next one. So then you get, like, the final thing, and I'll wrap this up really. For, I apologize for growing too much. But oh, just wait till I get to the soundtrack portion. Oh, so same the, here. Go, but, go, go um, as long as you want. I think this might be a, a Scream 2 two-part episode. Right. Seriously. I, was say, I just checked the timestamp. Yeah. So at the end of this, it's very Halloween-esque because Sid races into a theater and she sees like all these de- all are dead for like Dewey's dead, strung up dead, Hallie's dead, Joel's dead, which is like a sort of off-screen death. So it's like a wall of death that's surrounding her and actually traps her. And then Derek brings in Cotton, who starts goading Sid. And then, which is actually kind of cool, Hallie comes to life on the wall. And mm. like and is like and they're all in it. So you have two killers with cotton as kind of a wild card. 
and they keep talking about like the two killers get really into it like with like it's almost very um similar to a later sequel um they get into like natural born killers uh they reference like they're really fucked up it's rumor of a cop like derek is actually wanting to get the death penalty he's like i want the death penalty i want i have my whole dead man walking swan song so it's really fucking disturbing and then you get mrs loomis and she comes in and so it's a lot and so then she kills hallie and derek and then then she's killed by cotton who we think is the hero but then he kills gail <laughs> then, okay i see it's like and, yeah. then, <laughs> and then chases sydney and then the, the ends with like you know williamson being like all right this is as far as i got the idea is that sid and cotton are just going to keep stabbing each other and then the movie ends or whatever and i'm like okay well and it's the one where sydney dies yeah or is it implied it's, it's to have died that she dies. That 100% sounds like, oh shit, I got to get a draft of this thing over to the yeah. Weinsteins because right? they're screaming at me and like threatening me with sexual assault. Like, I better, <laughs> I better get this in. Ruin like, my career. Yeah. Kevin yeah. Williamson woke up one day, just saw a big fucking dump in a in a potted plant in his house. I was like, oh, oh no. Harvey's it's, like yeah. the whole, it's like the horse's head in The Godfather. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> Well, that's interesting. I, I read I read bits and pieces of that. I knew about the uh, I knew Mickey being killed instead, and the four of them being the killers. And it's funny because the not to spoil too much, but the Cotton and Sydney kind of lying there reminds me of another stream ending hmm? that would happen uh, years later. But we'll talk about that later on too. Yeah, again, I'm not sure how much of this was uh, leaked out, how much of this was dummy draft, and, and everything else. But uh, yeah, going down to the... say they didn't go down that those paths. Yeah, going down <laughs> yeah. the rabbit hole that is like I don't know what's real and what isn't. Yeah, mm-hmm. kind of like Scream itself. Who's the killer? Who, what's the draft? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is also what the Weinsteins were saying. Where's the draft? Obviously, they had to kind of shoot on the fly. They didn't have finished pages for the script daily. Like, they were kind of getting them by the day. Which they joke about in Scream 3. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. They, yeah, Scream 3 is basically a, a commentary on Scream 2, and Scream Production. 2 is a commentary on Scream. <laughs> right. you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. But funny enough, I think we said there were like so many submissions to the MPAA or scream. We there was the back and forth on that forever. There weren't as many issues this time around because Wes Craven wisely sent in a cut that was far bloodier than he even intended it to be. Straw man, mm-hmm. I love which was it. smart because he like I think he um, in that cut you have you see Randy's throat get cut. Phil gets stabbed three times in the stall, and I think those are the two major really bloody vicious scenes. And the MPA I think was kind of like, nah, we don't want those two, but. Again, if you make that look much bloodier than everything else, then everything else looks tan by comparison. So, like selling shit on Facebook Marketplace, you got to mark it up so people can think that they got a deal. God, I, I haven't been, I haven't been on Facebook in so long. I don't even know what Marketplace is on Facebook. Like, I, it's I, a great place. It's Craigslist. To, it's Craigslist yeah. on Facebook. Uh, great place some, to buy shit. I just I don't think I should go back to King. Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> no, go back. It's great. Sounds like it's great. Hey, they just just have just a, you have a fake account with no friends. All you have are groups <laughs> and marketplace. Uh, That's go. how you do it. I'll, I'll, yeah, but I'll still be tempted to look at family members' profiles and want to throw myself off a bridge. Like Cece or off the balcony. <laughs> off the balcony. <laughs> I'll have somebody throw me off if I can't do it myself. So Scream 2 cost $10 million more than Scream. I believe it. It made $25 million more in its opening weekend. It made $32 million versus, like I said earlier, only $7 million for Scream. And all told, which is really crazy when you have all the math, it's made just under a million dollars less than Scream. Like that's how close they are. I think uh, Scream is $102 million and some change, and then $101 million and some change for Scream 2. And that's domestic. 
they both made over $100 million domestic, which is um, very impressive, especially for 1997 and 96. <laughs> year of our um, Lord. The year of our Lord and Savior. The year of grandfather time. So I have a question. Let's, let's kind of break these questions down here. I have a question. Scream 4 did not make $100 million. It didn't mm-hmm. do great. So do we think that Scream, excuse me, 5 Cream, will break, a, will break $100 million domestic? Easily. 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 Interesting. All right, all right. Yeah. Well, the economics of it are a little different now, too. I mean, mm-hmm. it, I don't know what the budget will be for Scream 5, but I mean, movie movie tickets are costlier. I think True. that if 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 everything does manage to turn to normal, people will be going to the movies in droves and they'll mm-hmm. be so excited. And, and it's like it's hitting that nostalgia spot for people in our age group right now. So True. I think that it will just get fucking like blown out of the water. Here's the, the big question, though. Um, and they just announced it this week or maybe it was a couple weeks ago. But it's a Paramount movie. It's not Dimension Films anymore. And oh, you think in streaming? I, th- you know, they just announced that Paramount Plus is going to get all the original content. You know, a couple weeks after the the, the first one comes in, I still think this movie breaks over a hundred million. I, I think that Scream Four. It, it's funny because I was talking to Sandy the other day about it, and it's a shame that Scream Four happened because I do think that it just was released at a time when no one was really asking for it. Whereas now. Everyone wants it, you know, like the, the mm-hmm. fan base for Scream is just, it's like almost like the, the fan, it's like almost like the Stephen King renaissance that happened like a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Like everyone is all of a sudden talking about this franchise, almost in the same way that people were talking about Halloween in 97. You know, when you think about it, and it makes sense because it's the 20 year nostalgia 20, thing. It's that 20 year nostalgia. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah, there's a pattern I like that. to it. Mm-hmm. Well, I wish them all the best. I hope it makes over $100 million. Unless, unless <laughs> yeah, I don't like it and it, I'll wish, yeah. I'll hope it bombs, you know. Tremendously, obviously. We'll we'll see. It's going to be out. It's crazy. It's going to be out in like eight months. Are you going to invest in it on Robinhood, uh, Vanderbone? <laughs> <laughs> I might have to go to our local broker boy. Mike hey guys, Vanderbilt. I'm telling you, Dodgecoin. Where it's oh, at. Yeah, it's still, right. yeah, yeah. I, uh, Is it Dodge? I've been saying Doge. I've been saying Doge also. Oh, <laughs> Oh, maybe that's a south side thing. Maybe. Dodge yeah, coin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. coin. We mispronounced everything down here. Pop or soda? I tell you, I bought it at 25 cents. It's up to 70. No joke. That's 70 cents? Cash out now. Yeah. Cash out now. These things I'm, have a shelf life of oh, two yeah. weeks. <laughs> I've been cashing out like a little bit, like, because I'm, I'm not a very good gambler. Like a little bit at a time, like $100 when it gets up, $100 when it gets up. And then leaving a little bit in there because you don't right. want to be the one. You don't want to be caught holding the bag. Right, but you right. also don't want to cash out when you wake up one day and it's up to like $3. You pull the Homer Simpson. Oh, yeah. stupid. Yeah. Well, well, make sure you... to check out our new podcast, <laughs> Boiler Room say. Boys, coming out <laughs> next month. If you had <laughs> cryptocurrency wanna... on your Halloweenies bingo card for this episode, you win. <laughs> Yep. Mike, take I'm essentially, it off the wall. I'm essentially the Elon Musk. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, if I, mentioned, I figure if I mention Dodgecoin on the Halloweenies podcast, now on the Bloody Disgusting Network, that it'll shoot up and everybody will just, it'll go to the moon, as we say in the industry. Is that uh, industry term, to the moon? To the moon. Ah, to, to the moon. moon. Hmm. To the moon, uh-huh. Gordon. Gordon Gecko. <laughs> to Mac tonight. Yeah, that's uh, the famous line from Wall Street, right? Yeah. Greed is good. To, to the in moon. lack of a better word, to the moon. <laughs> And then he goes, invest in Dogecoin. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's, but Charlie keeps calling it Dogecoin. We got yeah, some of that Dogecoin over here. Uh, uh, Dan Aykroyd comes fast. out with his uh, silver vodka. Yeah, yeah no, I, I got to get some of that Dogecoin. Um, mm, the bus boys start playing. 
<laughs> Boiler and Bus Boys. That sounds like a good name Cleaning for podcast. Cleaning up my coin. <laughs> well, for our new listeners who just discovered us because of the Black Disgusting Podcast Network, thanks for sticking with us. We've got a ways to go. Okay, so here's some more questions, though, of course, before we move on, God forbid. Let's talk about the opening sequence. It's hard to kind of really mention that in any other categories. <laughs> yeah, I have all thoughts on it, but carry yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so... I think that the fans there were a perfect representation of where the fandom was a year after Scream uh, in terms of the anticipation and the excitement. Even when I saw that matinee on a bright, sunny Florida day at AMC Pleasure Island, it, the, the crowd there was still really excited for it. You know, there cheering. was a buzz. Yeah. There was a buzz. I mean, cheering before the movie started. When Dimension Films splashed across the screen, people cheering and jumping mm-hmm. up. I mean, it was like a real event. It was, it was eerily mirrored. In that opening sequence at the Rialto, home of home of the Heim video Summer Girl. Oh, <laughs> that's, oh wait, really? That's the claim to fame. Yeah, yeah. yeah a, I've got some other fun Rialto trivia. Mm, oh, so the interior of the Rialto was the Vista Theater in Hollywood, and that's mm. the one that's featured in True Romance. That's where he goes to see the Street Fighter ah. trilogy. And looking at that picture is kind of amazing how much that that in True Romance it looks like and feel or rather feels like Detroit. I am, and it's you know in sunny Hollywood. Now, the exterior, the Rialto, is in South Pasadena, which is, of course, where they filmed Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. No. Halloween. Halloween, yeah. Oh, I thought that was where you were going to... You love, oh, no. I, you love, you love that movie. Like I figured that that's where you were going. That's true. But, yeah. So the Halloween was all filmed around South Pasadena, but the theater was also featured in John Landis's The Kentucky Fried Movie. That's mm. where See You Next Wednesday plays in Feel ah. Around. Is that where he also shot uh, the opening for Thriller? Oh, Quite possibly. Hmm. Where they leave the theater. I wonder if it is the Rialto. That's a good question. You know, we'll Can never know. Side by side on Instagram. <laughs> yes. Well, if anybody out there can find that out by maybe even Googling yeah, where did they no. film the thriller? Yeah, Kentucky oh, so Fried Movie, Thriller, The Player, uh, Old School, X Files, Scream 2. Yeah. Wow. X Files is probably the uh, Gary Shandling Tia uh, Leone episode, right? No, it might actually be the one where, yeah, it probably is if it's Hollywood because they wouldn't have shot mm-hmm. there. Right. Um, you know, Hollywood AD. Because they do have that, they have that episode where the virus is like killing everyone in the theater. But I don't think I think Ooh. that was already Van, I think that was Vancouver. But. Too topical. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And, uh, one more comment about the theater. I'm guessing uh, that is that would that shit would not fly at the Alamo. Draft that was House. my next question. <laughs> would today's in today's audiences would they be allowed to wear obviously, you know, certain masks we have to wear. But would they be allowed to wear masks like that, even have fake knives? I, oh, I say not, no. at not. not at a premiere. At the yeah. like midnight showing, you know, three years later, yes, but not. But I wonder if even they would be no. like, I, like well, a Alamo like Draft a, House. Sure, they're going to be. Well, but you couldn't have that much. Well, the Alamo Draft House is like the Wild Wild West. I mean, but you wouldn't know. You wouldn't be allowed to have that much fun at an Alamo Draft House, hooting and hollering through the for opening of the movie. Well, they my have a thing, signs on the doors that says absolutely no hooting and no hollering and uh, no. Green Green knives. Uh, I, I think the biggest horrifying thing that would happen to me at the Alamo Draft House would be for them to, to to drop off all the bills with three minutes left in the movie, ruining the entire atmosphere of the movie. I love I love but I love the Alamo because you can't you can't go on your phone. Yeah. I do enjoy the Alamo Draft House. I, I, I mean, yeah, I love Alamo Draft House, but yeah, and I I think you I think you should be able to hoot and holler, but not be on your phone. My my thing, I just think you need to be able to figure out a better billing system. Like maybe wait till the credits start to I roll agree. before you start to roll on through there and drop off those bills. 
I just love oh, an active wild audience, and yeah. I've I've had a couple of, like that. Uh, the Scream Two opening reminds me a lot of my Jason Goes to Hell experience when mm. I was thirteen. Like it was that kind of wild audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, we both grew up in Chicago in the city, different sides of the city, but like that was like one of the best things about going to a horror movie is just having a crazy uh. raucous audience with everybody screaming at the. I mean, it's like you don't you go to that knowing mm-hmm. that that's going to be the experience if you want like a more, you know, stayed, you don't go early on in the run of it or what have you. You don't go when there's going to be a bunch of yeah. teens or kids in the theater, but like that is a very particular type of horror going movie experience and it is a delight and I miss I, it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So much. I think people get a little too precious sometimes yeah. about going into movies. Like, I guess don't be on your phone, but you know, a couple kids fucking around with a laser pointer during scream two is fine. You don't go. No, I, would, I would drag no, that person. Hold on. Hold on. Nothing about laser. Yeah, laser that, 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 ruined, that ruined the ring two for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure that was it. It wasn't that was the, the wrong you know, kind of oh my God. movie to have. Dull storytelling. Um, oh yeah, that, that probably also contributed to it. Uh, okay. the like some guy screaming, "What the fuck!" Yeah. Like periodically, that shit's hilarious. You like, will always is... remember that. You will always remember when that happened at mm-hmm. the uh, at the theater. You I do. I do every... like a, a raucous theater, though. I agree with you, Mike. I think that it just depends different. on what the movie is. Like, I yeah. don't want to pe- yeah. have people talking during, you know, The Witch. Well, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I saw one of the Insidious movies. I think oh, I saw Insidious fine. too, yeah. and it was teens everywhere. Everybody was yelling. It was it added to it. Fine. At first, like, I, I remember whoever I was with was like, "Ugh," and then I was like, I had a moment of like, "Do I go ugh or do I embrace this experience?" Because it had been a while, you know. And I was like, "Oh hell yeah, this is good. let's go." Or, I'm well, I remember seeing Texas Chainsaw 3D, and everybody was just laughing and screaming and and commenting. Some movies are designed for that, and I okay. and I and I embrace it. I go for it all the time. Like a more. You know, just don't talk during like Midsommar, you know? I remember seeing Drag Me to Hell and there was were great, like was four teenage girls sitting Perfect behind time. me just having the time of their lives mm-hmm. in there. And well, I, so it Marine made me pine Phil, for a simpler time. Um, Marine and Phil. <laughs> yeah. So the, the whole opening of Scream 2 is, is a commentary on how horror movies focus, for the most part, on white people, which didn't end with Scream 2. It continued, <laughs> it continued on for decades after, actually. Eddie Murphy has that great bit about white people moving into haunted houses from Delirious. <laughs> that remains one of my favorite stand-up bits of all time. It's good. Uh, it's and Eddie Murphy went on to be in Haunted Mansion. Yeah, yes, um, yeah. that's true. <laughs> the irony. <laughs> that's beside the point. Yeah, so how do you guys feel that that dialogue has aged? You could, you know what's funny? You can tell it was written by a white person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. Right, especially now. You're like, oh. Mm-hmm. A lot of the dialogue for some of the other characters, you could tell, oh, this is definitely not written by a black person whatsoever. Well, I definitely. think it ages fine in terms of Scream, though, because it's not about, for this sequence, I think, it's not about talking about, like, like, dialogue written by a white person, dialogue written by a black person. It's, this is how people in Kevin Williamson movies talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it don't matter I, I guess I didn't mean you are. literal dialogue. I meant the dynamics of that whole sequence leading up to those two characters being killed. Well, I think it's also complicated because it's trying to be a, it's doing two things, right? It's trying to be a commentary yep. mm-hmm. on on yep. on on how screwed up it is that this stuff is happening, but then you go ahead and, and do it. And do it. Exactly. So you're, it's, exactly. It, it, that makes it kind of a complicated thing like where you're praising it but you're also embracing it almost. Right. But to be fair that they also do they 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 kind of subvert it a little bit too because like, you know, you look back and, you know, the character Joel, I mean, he does the smart thing and ditches Kit Town <laughs> and he right. survives. Like, and they, and, yeah, you know. Yeah, no one have... does that in horror movies, like ever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. And he actually gets out of there. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, he I pops up at the really end. He's like, hey. clever. 
I really liked that. You know, I guess I'm, you know, I ha- I'm of two minds about it. And I'm only bringing this up not to say that, like, I think this or that this is the correct answer or something. It's just something that I, um, watching it now in like 2020, 2021, you know, like I, I just, with everything, I, I sort of had a little bit of a different reaction to it mm. than I remember having mm-hmm. to it thinking like, I, I remember thinking like, oh, this is a really clever way of subverting this genre trope. And I'm not, saying that it isn't or that you know it isn't a really uh a memorable performance for jada pinkett and for omar epps and having all this stuff i'm just like the the thought that occurred to me is that the opening violence against the two care those two characters feels wrong to me because it is explicitly racial violence they're the only characters that are killed because they're 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 killed because they're black there are no characters that are killed because they're white you know and i get that we are in fun Mm. zany meta territory and that they do have care like the character of joel sort of coming at it from a different angle and being like oh the black dude always gets killed first see you later and then like leaves and doesn't get killed which i think was really clever however like that thought stuck in my head and then i couldn't enjoy the scene well uh, a couple so, things yeah. i'd say is that mm-hmm. well i mean her name is marine and his name is yeah so is, that's why uh, they go after the is, well i know Phil, they do right? the whole thin like you know it's the copycat it's thing the copycat thing right i get that but that's like it's picking apart the the actual movie logic from the filmmaker logic for me that that is like there's two there's multiple layers going on and it's not helped by the fact that it's a very <laughs> meta franchise you know um, yeah. so and i'm not saying that this is racist. I'm not saying that it's, pro- you know, I'm not trying to like cancel or pro- say it's problematic or anything. I'm, I'm just- sorry. I just tweeted that you're canceling Scream <laughs> it's, it's official. No, it's, it's trending. It's trending. I, do, I like this movie a lot. And I think, I think that this, this was the nineties. This movie was doing a lot more to advance this dialogue than any, any of its contemporaries, you know? And I think Wes Craven was always really interested in advancing social dialogue, but like, does it, does it live up to the standards that we would expect a movie today to hold? You know, I feel like if this scene came out now and it was all made by white people, mm. like, I think that that's, you know, it's, is that really your story to tell? Are you really that invested in, in, in how black characters are treated on screen? You know, uh, I don't know. I'm not saying that I, <laughs> I think I'm just begging the question because I feel like if it's not asked that that becomes a problem. I think, oh, a, I think it, a lot of it's in translation too, you know, because like if you, the original script, doesn't have this dialogue that's in the mm-hmm. in the in this the in the film. Mm. Although the 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 script does explicitly say that Hallie is a black character, and same right, with Joel. Right. And there is dialogue that that points that out. And I mean, and then if you want to really talk about dialogue that's written by a white guy, it's like when every time Hallie talks to Sydney, it's always girl. So yes, that's kind exactly. of ridiculous. <laughs> there are some things about her characterization that I did <laughs> not love. But, so, the, yeah. West, but this opening doesn't read West Craven's Nightmare on Elm Street three script, even though I know he did not write uh, Scream two. But read his Nightmare on Elm, his original Nightmare on Elm Street three Kim script. Oh, man, yeah, yeah I've, I've heard about this. Some, some of the dialogue yeah. is a, is a little. Uh, yeah. Cringe, the, I guess, is what you call it. But I think one of the things that's, that should be noted about the opening is that I do think it's like contending with the fact that like Scream 1 is one of the whitest movies of all time. Indeed. Yes. Yes. And they were shown in trying. Yeah. <laughs> so the fact that you're opening this up, not only just with two black leads, but then also, I mean, like D'Angelo's playing, which is like the first hip hop song, I think, in the entire franchise, because mm-hmm. the whole first one is just all 90s alternative and yep. throwbacks to the 70s rock. 
And so like, you know, you have a decidedly different movie that's, that's coming out almost just immediately. And that was yep. definitely a choice. That was definitely like a pointed choice to do that. And, I, and it, cause it's not like, I mean, hip hop was big in 97, but so was alternative and you could see that too. So it's not like they were just only capitalizing on like hip hop being this big thing. So we're going to have, you know, D'Angelo and R and B start playing this up, like covering Prince, covering Prince. Yeah. And so like, it was definitely a choice to be like, all right, well, we're, going to rectify the idea that we had an all white movie in scream but then you get into yeah what you're saying lara with like the commentary it's like well i think in hindsight yeah it hasn't aged great in the sense of who's making it but i do think that the commentary itself what it's saying to the horror genre is still smart i, I think yes, it's, a, it's, a, yes. it's a it's a it's a hard hard marriage here <laughs> i have a point and a question about that because now obviously many comedians have done the bit about how the black guy always dies first yep. in horror movies uh robert townsend did a really great bit on one of his partners in crime specials about mm. an all-black horror sci-fi horror movie like he was basically doing alien with an all-black cast and mm-hmm. it's very funny but having watched a lot of horror movies i don't think i've seen a lot where the black guy dies first I feel like it's a genre thing as well, more than just horror. I feel like I've seen a lot of sci-fi things where, like, they'll have, like, Mm -hmm. one black guy that doesn't have any lines and then just gets, like, killed at the top of the movie. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I can list examples because I can't, but I... You have them on your wall? Like, I've got my bits on my wall? Yeah, I've got my wall of times (laughs) black guys died first. Roger Corman. (laughs) But no, I mean, I can't... But I know I've seen it, and I know it's... And... I think also it's it's also a commentary on on black people not getting leading roles and mm-hmm. not getting roles with good dialogue and like the the death is just something that's being noted in this genre that's also you know I mean Hollywood in general and even outsider film like horror and genre film is dominated by white men it's still that's is. just it it's yeah. more that there's no black characters right, rather exactly. than they get killed first or they get given roles kind of like the best friend role in this movie where they're just in service to the white protagonist and they're like mm-hmm. i sit at home waiting for you to come back and so i can take care of you two dope queens has a really funny piece on it i can't remember they have this podcast and they have a lot of stand-up comedians so i can't remember if it was the two hosts of two dope queens or one of the stand-up comedians that they came on but they're because bo- they're both a black female actresses and they talk about how like every role they read for is like the best friend that's like <laughs> oh girl did you talk to him like you know oh, and it's like you know waiting it, for the the that's one to come home this from movie. her date and that is absolutely highly in this movie you know and so as much as this movie does to try and be progressive i think it does fall into some of those those tropes that are unfortunate um i don't know again i like i said not trying to cancel this movie in any way i think especially for when it came out it did a lot that was Mm. different and i think you know for jada pinkett and omar i mean like those are not typical roles that you get you know um so you know i don't know i'm of two minds about it i just wanted to open the door to the dialogue i'm with you and i i was gonna say i think if you ignore all the, uh, you know, the racial stuff in her, it's just a very effective sequence. It's mm-hmm. so effective. I and find I, that, yeah, that we can get really to that terrifying. in a second, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Two great performances. I've always liked Omar Epps. I liked him since he took over for uh, Wesley Snipes. Wesley Snipes nah, in Major League. That was a sin. Well, that's that, your, that's that your contrarian. That. That's yeah. your Jermaine Jackson take. <laughs> I, because I actually, it was a hard time for me to, like, actually get around, like, Omar Epps because he replaced Wesley Snipes. And, like, that movie was just, it turned into a PG movie, I think it was, too. It was, was PG. Just, like, yeah. Yeah, I liked him good. in House MD. <laughs> well, I think it's also, it's it's definitely pointed casting because, like, the MD it, was only, me off. it was only two years before that he had his, look, this can be a spoiler. Well, we'll talk for, about them later on. We, we, we'll yeah. break down the careers. I think that they're, like, a best kill, you know. Oh, yeah, it applies to this death just because like he had one of the most iconic deaths two years prior, like with higher learning. 
And that was a huge deal. You know, like the ending but of that movie. he didn't movie, die at Higher Learning. Doesn't he die at the end of Higher Learning when he gets no, shot? No, his girlfriend, Tyra Banks, dies. Oh, okay. Well, no, actually, I was thinking because in Don't Tell, uh, don't, don't, don't Be a Menace. Oh, don't, be a menace. Yeah. don't Be a Menace. Don't Be a Menace. They, they parody oh. that with him dying, yes. actually. But that. I, anyway, we can cut end, all this out. Just, just well, no, but to envelope, <laughs> no, because no, I want to end, I want to end, I want to envelope into that because speaking of Don't Be a Menace, whenever I see the, when I see the opening from Scream 2, all I can think of is, one of the scary movies, I think it's the first one. Yes, where she's where in the they theater. parody this scene, and uh, I think he gets stabbed in the ear with, uh, with somebody's a dick penis. Or yeah. yeah, it's yeah, like a glory a hole joke. Yeah, I, I unfortunately can. I think I saw a scary movie before I saw Scream Two, so like that was the template in my brain. And I saw this like, and I was like, oh. Also saw that movie in theaters with somebody's parent. Not good. Oh God, yeah. enough. Of I was so drunk during Scary Movie Two. I. I, when I watched it on home video again, it was like watching a completely different movie. So we went, we, <laughs> You're like, wait, we this is what some, I thought we, was funny? <laughs> we, we got high in the car and snuck a bunch of beers in, and we had a really good time. As it should be. That's how you yeah. do it, you know? That was a rowdy audience mm-hmm. for a scary movie, too. And something about that scene I want to point out, though, is it's funny because um, Jay Pinkett Smith was interviewed, I think it was for People Magazine by way of Entertainment Weekly, and she was asked about Scream 2, and she said, and I've got the quote here, which is pretty interesting. I found it to be pretty, pretty interesting. It's up on the wall. It's up on the wall and he pulls down. She says, she says, I remember saying to the director, I want to die the most horrific death mm-hmm. that has ever happened in a horror film. I want it to be long and excruciating. And he's like, cool. <laughs> so that's <laughs> can, why can it's do. like the constant stabbing. And I think she, yeah, sent, just, she sent Wes Craven like a thing of knives for Christmas that year. Yeah. That's this is really pretty, funny. It's very nice. I, I've only heard good things about Wes Craven, which is good to know. Yeah, he seems, I, and I, I love Wes Craven. I'm just yeah. saying all this. As a counterpoint to my Well, again, it's like, it's kind of like how I was talking about intent versus uh, the reaction, right? Yes. Yeah, I'm not not saying like, oh, Wes Wes Craven and Kevin Williamson are are racist, blah, 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 blah. It's just sometimes stuff either ages poorly or it doesn't come across as it was intended. You know what I mean? Right. And I think it's just if, I think it's worth holding it up to scrutiny, but then still appreciating what's really great about it. You know, I think I think it can be two things. And I'm just someone that will always you know um probe <laughs> and if you can't you can't see but I'm, I'm poking my finger at the camera in a in a sexual manner <laughs> it's slowly downloading like that pic you got when yeah, you were younger yeah, yeah exactly but you, it's you, just you... a finger a, gr- a, gr- a probing finger <laughs> moving on <laughs> but, <laughs> I'm sorry. okay so I, I have one more question here this is got this is gonna be a two-part episode when they're trying to figure out the killing and everything else do we ask the sheriff do you think someone's trying to duplicate woodsboro Mm-hmm. And and I'll, I'll say this before I ask the question, but I think Scream Two itself is deliberately about duplication, right? Yeah. There, there is a new version of somebody from the previous movie for a lot of the characters, not just the character names. Mickey's totally. the, Mickey's the new stew, right down to being kind of a second banana to a Loomis character, right? Mm-hmm. Hallie is the new Tatum as the extremely supportive best friend. Derek is the new Billy down to Sydney's distrust of him as her boyfriend, you know. Joel is the new Kenny, and they even share the same last name of Jones, by the way. Mm-hmm. So my question is, and this could get complicated too, does the movie get away with repeating similar beats because it's deliberately doing so? Or do you think that no matter what the intent was, it, it might come off as, as repetitive as a criticism? I mean, I think it does. I, I think it gets away with it because I think it's with. clever with its twits, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's also, it's not just re- recurring bits you know like they there's a there's a complexity within scream 2 that's just not there in scream 1 because i think scream 1 is so 
obsessed with subverting the the horror formula whereas where I, I think with scream 2 you actually are getting more into the weeds with the narrative which is why it's longer you know like this is a longer movie compared to the first one and, and mm-hmm. a lot of that is because not only do you have to kind of juggle the meta stuff that's happening with horror but you really do get into some character building here you know between like especially with sydney i mean like the whole sequence Mm -hmm. with where she's talking to the great david warner that's a that's a meditative moment that you just don't have in the first one you know like and and there's a lot of like it's less of i mean granted he's talking about themes that could be applicable to the final the pseudo final girl but really it's about sydney and I like that about that. I think that's what you get. A, that's where it add, this movie gets the depth and gets away with doing the duplication. I feel like. I, I 100% agree because I think there's a number of things that, yeah, it absolutely, if you look at it in the surface and you just like sketch it out, it is absolutely about duplication, but it has to be because it's the scream franchise. And I think that the reason these movies aren't miserable to watch and just like too clever and too cerebral and dry is because they fill them with these characters that you end up really loving and you get, and really, I mean, I, I'm just thinking about this from the episode we did on Sydney's arc. I think it is a really clever examination of trauma and like watching how these events impact her is one of several several emotional anchors in this series and Mm. i think i think we said this on that on that episode too but like her dewey and gail are like a a quartet you know Mm. they are like this like fate linked group and so seeing them come together and i think like dewey and gail as care and like their romance is another thing that really emotionally anchors what could be really dry and cerebral attempts to be meta you know what i mean like those are the things that you know you see it's almost like the meta-ness is being inflicted on these characters who are really fleshed out and and human and that's what makes it work for me and it gets and that's what gets into the magic that i was talking about before (laughs) the magic is back. god i know i can't ever fucking stop laughing whenever i say it let me know how i would ever even be a fan of orlando magic because of it but I, I think a lot of it is that like it's the reunion, you know, like I love fucking reunion movies. I love reunions mm. itself. And like what makes Scream 2 so great is that they capitalize on that sense of reunion that a lot of horror movies kind of just disregard. They're like, well, well, we're going to bring back the final girl, but we usually kill her off in the next one and introduce someone new. I mean, they did mm. it in Friday the 13th. They did it in Nightmare on Elm Street. They did mm-hmm. it pretty much in Halloween to disjointed weird levels. Resurrection. Yeah. There's, you know, all throughout the franchise. But with this one is like the thing that I love about this in which I really don't give a shit if the main characters ever die is, is it's just being able to see them come back together. And we have that shared history that they have because we've been through it from the beginning. And anyone mm-hmm. who's introduced in that movie is kind of corollary to that. And we, there's that sort of intimate knowledge that we have. And that's what makes Scream 2 so awesome for me. Is that like, mm-hmm. oh, we're back. I, we're back with these guys. The magic. And we're, I got to you know, disagree with you on that because yeah. I don't I was gonna think, good, I, I knew that you're cooler on this, Vanderbilt. So I was curious well, on your I take think, on this. Well, to Mike's point, I love that. Like when characters come back and you get to see them all again, it's like yeah. – Seeing old friends, it's you know, to you know, like the Star Wars movies, like mm-hmm. where have they been? What have their adventures been? But I think they rush that too much mm-hmm. in Scream 2. I don't, mm-hmm. I for a two hour movie, I think that first half should have slowed down and spent a little bit more time with the returning characters. And then I don't think they flesh out the new characters enough. And on the tip of sequels, I don't think that they take sequels to task enough you're talking about the duplication i feel like they're just hitting the beats of the original one and maybe they ramp up a little bit like like the there are i think there's a lot of inventive scenes in this movie but i feel like it's just in a bunch of inventive scenes strung together by a very loose story and i don't know if that's a result of there not being a story to tell 
or as a result of having to change the script? I'm sure that has something to do with it, ultimately. I mean, like I said, this was... They were still working on it as they were filming it. And but I, I, I think I'm kind of in between maybe Mike and Lara and, and you, Vanderbilt. I'm, I, I still think it's, it's a really solid movie overall. And I think I, I, I kind of compare it to the whole T2 train spotting, which really leans into reunion. Yeah. But the movie itself is literally all about nostalgia. So that in that way, it doesn't feel like you're just you know playing the greatest hits again. It feels like you're actually saying something about nostalgia. Mm-hmm. In a way, I think that this movie, Scream Two, gets away with it because it, it is saying something about doing something again. It's saying something about duplicating. So that I'm kind of in favor of the of the movie because of that. Yeah, I mean, I can see. I think those aren't unfair criticisms. Oh, no, yeah, I just definitely. I just don't feel that way while watching the movie. I do feel that way while watching Scream Three, which yes. I still enjoy because as soon as I'm watching a Scream movie, I'm enjoying it. It's just kind of baked in for me. But I definitely fe- agree with those comments about Scream Three. That's where the repetition and the meta-ness starts to get really stale for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that they could have done more to be reflective or shake up the formula in that film. And I'm hoping maybe with Five Cream. We'll get there a, well there get will have top. been enough time to unpack the legacy of these movies and what they mean to people i think you know whereas like again like you said the productions were so back-to-back and rushed on this i don't know if they really had the time to process what they were yeah. doing I, I just think of the one line that sydney says when they first introduce her back and she finds out about the killings and she's like where's randy i, I still get chills every time i hear it because like mm-hmm. i remember in theaters being like yes like I know, yes, that that yeah, that makes course. sense because like, yes, she's she gonna wants go to Randy. To, she's yeah. he's gonna know the information. We know that Randy's gonna have that fucking four one one, and then you get that walk and talk West Wing style like reunion with them. I, I just I, I there's a there's a spirit and an energy here that's palpable, and and I agree though. I agree though, Vanderbilt. I do wish we had more time with them a little mm-hmm. bit, and there are a lot of characters, but I I I, I don't know. I still think that the characters are sh- shaped enough in a way that the sequels fail miserably like we'll talk a lot about it in oh. you know the screen three and screen four episodes but I, I just think like the little bits of character building that we get here still are are still superior to what we get in the next two entries i, feel I don't know if this is the place to talk about this but i think killing off randy is a is a bad idea well let's hold off on that yeah let's hold off on that yeah there's, there's definitely a section for that okay i was thinking about this and i know it will infuriate maybe the entire fan base <laughs> if they killed off the main trio and the pre-credit sequence for Five Cream, that's the most daring thing they oh, could possibly I know. do. I, I might love it. Like I would hate. And I would it. probably be. Oh, but this kind of gets to my Randy thing later on in terms of what we are expecting seeing. It. Well, let me hold off. I'm already breaking my own rules okay. here. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> speaking of rules, what are the rules? Oh, what are the rules? What are the rules? What are the rules? What are the rules? Wow, what a great natural... That was actually a proper natural transition. Uh, this <laughs> section, we're going to be talking about the rules as laid out by Randy in the film Scream 2, released in 1997, the year of the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> so here's three rules. He talks to uh, Dewey. And a very funny sequence, by the way, I think. That, sequ- that scene's pretty funny with him and, Rand- with Randy I, and I Dewey. Do, I do love that sequence. Very cute. That, it reminds that me reunion, of a, yeah, It's that, that reunion, reunion thing, too. Yeah. I agree, 100%. Great teaser trailer. Okay. Number one, the body count is bigger. Yes, more people get killed in this movie, right? Even in the opening scene alone, two people instead of one, it's just more people die in this movie. Okay. Well, I guess technically Steve dies, but you don't see him. 
You know, I don't really count Steve in like. Oh the, yeah, you're right. No, no, that I, does count. Yeah, but you know, the, the if any, if there's my biggest gripe with the first one is the fact that he's able to gut Steve in two seconds. So like, I I don't know. I well, that's real... because it's it's deleted though. Remember that was one of the cut scenes because yeah, if you see like true. remember um. I think Fangoria had it, the uncut look of that, and it's just his entire stomach has been torn open and yeah. his guts are all over the place. <laughs> like oh, um, the boyfriend character. Okay, yeah. sorry. I was trying to place. I couldn't. Mm-hmm. There we the, go. The classic character of Steve. Come yeah. on, Lara. <laughs> How could I forget <laughs> Steve? Well, I think he actually um, tried out to be like Lillard's role or like one of the bigger roles. Yes, it's true. Oh. And, well, we'll cut, your, we'll cut your stomach open and, and duct tape your mouth. Cool. Okay. I'll take it. I need money. I, I'd love to do that. Uh, Number two, death scenes are more elaborate. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I would agree. I mean, literally the final sequence, especially with you've got Derek crucified to, uh, on, the, on the set of a dramatic yes. play. <laughs> you know, it's, it's more elaborate, it's more dramatic. I 100% agree you with have that. have a pole go through a person's head. <laughs> uh, two of my, two yes. of my favorite sequences uh, in this film. Mm-hmm. A soundproof that booth. I almost I mean, forgot about. Yeah. I had forgotten about I one of them. F- Forget that, yeah. It's pretty graphic, and they really linger on that pull through the guy's head, too. Okay. Awesome. But the third, here's a complicated thing, because the third one, here's what's in the movie. In the movie is, right. if you want your sequel to become a franchise, never, ever, and then he gets cut off. But I believe there's an alternate line either in the trailer in which he finishes that thought. Anybody remember what this is? I don't, but I had a guess. Go ahead. Kill off your main star? I don't, I don't think that was it. That okay. would make sense to me. But I think that would make sense as well. Or, or, or one of the main stars from the last one or something yeah, like that. Yeah. I thought it was like an intentional setup for the third movie or something. You know, like even though it's never paid off to my knowledge, I thought that like there, there was some like quirky, you know, later payoff being anticipated by not having him finish that line or it's just that they don't know and that's why sequels don't work or something i figured there was some like circuitous logic behind it but they intentionally like had no actual answer for it yeah my my problem with the randy's rules from here on out is that they they kind of i mean look they play them up to a fair point here in this one but and you know obviously in three when it when it comes back it's just like you kind of put these things out there and like they lean on one part of the rule as opposed to like all of them. Like, and, and I think that's the case here in a, in a way, like, you know, the, the two rules that he says are obvious, right? Like the first ones, but like, I don't know. Yeah. I guess it's, it, it, it's, it's still a big part of it, but I, I always felt like, especially in scream three, they kind of like write Randy's influence over the meta nature of it off a little bit, but mm-hmm. well, scream three, you're really, we'll talk about that obviously, yeah. but you're really, you're really forcing it at that point. Yeah. I just, <laughs> don't think they go into the idea of sequels enough in this one as much as the first one did with slash movies, which is why I just feel like this one is just less memorable and less inventive than the original. And I feel like the first half is so different from the second half. I'm not sure if that was a deliberate thing, you know, and because this, this sequence here obviously does take place in the first half. Mm-hmm. So maybe it feels more natural. Maybe they, they just had to kind of go in that different direction. And again, it's funny because you have, you go from having four killers to just having two, and only one of those four remain. You know, and now you're, mm-hmm. you're now you're trying to, to to throw Mickey in the loop. And I don't know. I have a sort of half baked thought here, but I, I, you know, and it may be a result of them having to change the script or something. But like the the, the architect of this one is Billy's mother. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. is her not being such a movie fanatic 
an excuse. Again, we get into like flimsy <laughs> plot type excuses for, for it not being as focused on the cinematic aspect. You know, I don't know. I, I'm just thinking because like there's there's um God, I can never remember the name of the uh, the Mickey. He's supposed to be like a film nerd, but I no. they don't like they don't they don't have them be the puppet masters in the same way that Billy and Stu were. Well, the teaser trailer. I'm happy we vamped because I found out what the, the teaser trailer says. The third rule is what is it? Never, ever under any circumstances, assume the killer is dead, mm. which they sort of pay off with the like psych outs at mm-hmm. the end with them shooting. I immediately forgot his name again. Mickey. repeatedly. Mickey. <laughs> He's just not that memorable. To Mickey me D's. Yeah. Yeah. Well, think about because when, when, when <laughs> and that advice does come Mickey to fruition. He's nuts. <laughs> That advice comes to, to, to light because Sydney shoots Mrs. Loomis in the head and says, just in case. Just yeah. in case. Great, yeah. great bit. So, Which is a great little moment. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I, I don't know why they did just keep that line in the movie. <laughs> it's really weird that he cuts, gets cut off there. Because, yeah, it made me think it had some greater import than it actually does. Yeah. I was, um, like, sitting there going, what could it mean? What were they, like, what puzzle are they setting up for us? It kind of reminds me of, like, when <laughs> in Halloween... And when the the graveyard guy is uh you know talking about Charlie Bowles oh, and then it yeah. cuts him off right when he gets to the goes down part. takes the axe and where's the where's the tombstone? where are we where are we <laughs> he came home the the other thing I mean I don't know, this is a little tangential to Randy's rules but during that scene where they're having like Baskin Robbins or whatever I just really <laughs> lock in on the product placement in that oh there's some great scene. product there's placement there's a lot of product placement <laughs> in this movie I hope they had a scream to Sunday like when Stranger Things took over Baskin Robbins that would have been cool I just didn't know. You, know, you, you put your face through the Mickey stand, the, the Mickey face hole, the classic <laughs> character Mickey. Mickey D's yes. holding it's, the it's knife. Everyone's favorite character, Mickey. <laughs> I'm just—I've never noticed that again. Randy sort of name drops Mrs. Voorhees in mm. that moment. I never picked up on that before. Like I just was kind of like he's just saying the names of a bunch of different movies and characters mm-hmm. and shit. But then like you know he's he, they're speculating about who the killer could be, and he references Mrs. Voorhees while talking about the potential for someone else to be a killer and then mm-hmm. i was like oh that was a nice little wink wink yeah we wouldn't have been able it... to pick up on it because we didn't know that well it makes for like a fun rewatch in that regard too, right, right exactly yeah you know i mentioned that i was in the music man when i went to go see scream too you did mention that and i just love music so much you know hey, i think of the classic songs hey, like i think i, think I, I love, love you, you. Well, you know, folks, the magic is back, which means the Marco is back, because composer Marco Beltrami was another crew member from Scream who returns, and he is back with a vengeance. I don't know. I didn't even write that down. I was feeling sequelitis with Die like with a Vengeance, I guess. Yeah. I also but, realized I just stepped over your transition because this section oh, is no. called I Think That's, I Love You. So the I magic apologize. of GarageBand is yeah, that that would be edited go, right yeah, out. Snippity-dippity. Oh, we're keeping it. No, just like my my flub of higher learning, we're going to keep all of it. <laughs> keep it. Well, you remember because in higher learning, the Omar Epps is very emotional over the death of Tyra Banks. No, it's all because of Don't Tell, uh, Don't Be a Menace to South Central, because they do literally no, the same know, scene Mike, and he gets killed. You got mixed up with his, his performance in Dracula 2000. <laughs> that, yeah, die. that was it. Yeah. <laughs> another or Dimension Films classic. Another movie. Ugh, another I movie. completely repressed until you just said the title. <laughs> uh, Vitamin D is in that movie. 
Gerard Butler as Dracula. Yeah, I think that was like the first time I ever saw Gerard Butler. But this uh, is the last, unfortunately. Oh, jeez, shots geez. fired. <laughs> the Butler did it. Okay, listen, <laughs> folks. Some some classic stings from Stream returned. You know, Sydney's theme and some other modes. But here's what I want to focus on here. Well, first of all, Danny Elfman yeah. did the music for the uh, Cassandra aria, which we'll be oh. talking about later on. And it, I kind of like that because. I'm imagining that there was a soundtrack for that scene, mm-hmm. right? The, the music was probably actually playing, and it makes sense that it wouldn't be Marco Beltrami doing the music <laughs> for the Cassandra yeah. aria. It's cool. It's somebody else that came in to do that little bit. But I really like that music a lot. That's well, to be fair, scene. Marco Beltrami, because I'm sure he was upset with the fact that, like, you know, Hans Zimmer okay, and, here we go. and Danny Elfman were all being thrown into his score. But he got he got the uh, the one up a year later when he got to take away John Ottman's score for Halloween H2O. So, you know, he gets his revenge. But then John Ottman became a director. That's true. And directed Urban Legends Final Cut. Yeah. And he's, How about uh, that? He gets to be linked with the great... Brian Singer. Man, these grit linkages, the, the, the Weinsteins and Brian yeah. Singer. Congratulations, Lord. everybody. That's Hollywood, baby. Yeah. Hollywood. Okay, but let's talk about the Hans Zimmer thing, right? Okay, here's the thing. I'll never forget watching Stream 2. <laughs> and when Dewey shows up for the first time, oh, Dewey, what are you doing here? And that twangy guitar music's playing. Dun, and, the, dun, 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 and like the music box, ding, dong, ding, dong. Mm-hmm. It's like this really Sentimental. weird dynamic, right? And I only just found out a few days ago that that is music that's used also oddly in John Woo's Broken Arrow. Wait, yeah. You didn't know it? I did no. not know that. Did not because know that. I remember sitting in It was always the... so jarring. I was like, well, I, remember seen, s- I had seen Broken Arrow, by right. the way, I, I, which I hate, by the way. So I probably tried to block that out of my memory. I remember sitting in the theater on <laughs> December 13th, and it was driving me crazy. Yes, same where I knew Where I knew this fucking music yep. from. Ugh. And the internet was in, in its infancy, yeah, I, so there's really no way for me to search. And I couldn't tell you when I found out, but I, I was losing really my mind like the use. I like it, too. I am 100% out. I do not like this music. I'm okay. not going to sugarcoat it. I think it's so stupid. I think it's goofy. Get it I don't like it. It's, no. it's exactly no. what that moment needs. And it's like it matches with the camera you, but, no, no, no. But then it It's comes the back, magic. The ma- it's the magic. <laughs> it comes back later. It comes back a few more times too, though. It does. It comes back when it's being wheeled it out. It comes I, back when they're investigating at the, when it's the, the cute thing it, at the theater. Oh, get it out of here. It's so emotional. It is. Emotional. It's, it's from Broken yeah. Arrow. It's from John, you know, hey, John you know, Travolta surviving a crash and walking over a cliff in slow motion, and it's that. Doesn't dun, dun, work dun, in Broken dun, Arrow, even though know, this was played. I don't give a shit about no. Broken Arrow. It works I don't give a this. shit about the music it's in this movie. I'm tired me, of it. It reminds me of Twin Peaks. Okay. Yes. Put that in your. Yeah. Well, that was my other question. Do you know was, who's playing that guitar? No. It, it, yes. The great Dwayne Eddy. Oh. There you go. Well, okay. I think he's. Not, yeah, I don't think he's with us any longer. I, I believe he has passed. But yeah, the great Twain well, Eddie, oh, that's before, who uh, uh, the master of the twangy. Guitar. Well, look, Twin Peaks. I, I thought the same thing, which is why I went on my research about the music and discovered the Broken Arrow thing. I had it in my notes as I really. I was calling it in my own head Dewey's theme because mm-hmm. it comes as the moment when Sid first sees like Dewey, kind of. Which I, I love the moment, the reveal of him. He's just kind of like Shy. awkwardly yeah. standing <laughs> in the middle of like a big open space, and then she runs to him, and they do this really beautiful yeah. camera zoom on the two of them with this really like shallow depth of field, and they're just in focus, and everything is really soft. It feels very seventies, and then this mm-hmm. like sentimental music comes in, and then, uh, and I'm a huge stand for I think 
Dewey and Gail are my, one of my favorite on-screen couples, Same. you know, and oh, we'll talk their, about their that, chemistry, definitely. you know. So uh, then it always comes in when they're talking to each other and having these kind of quiet moments. And it is a little goofy, but I like it. I think it sort of like gives it this little bit of a Twin Peaks soap opera feeling in between no. these. Listen, I needed Lalo Schifrin's unused store from The Exorcist to pop up <laughs> in that <laughs> scene <laughs> when, when Dewey is walking around. It's like, ding, ding. I, I think yeah, I think I it embellishes it. all the feelings I was discussing about loving this movie. Like it's, yeah. it's 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 it absolutely brings together that sentimentalism that you get when you reunite with a friend. And like I I love well, it. Well, Mike, I swear to God, Mike, the next time I see you, which will probably I hope be you're playing it tonight, in your fucking head when next I'm time gonna you see, see it. you at the music box theater, and I'm gonna say, hey, where's Mike? And when I see you, I'm gonna be thinking about that. No, no. When, when I when I go because we're seeing Heat tonight, so when I see you at the music box, oh, I'm gonna are. have I'm gonna have Terj Ritball uh, in my head, and it's gonna be me walking, going like, "I'm alone. I'm not lonely." Um, and I'm gonna be having a whiskey, and you know. Speaking of Heat, would you say that Randy and Dewey talking? That's like the yeah. Heat moment of uh, yes of Scream Two. Yeah, you know what, Vanderbilt? People say that 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 they actually weren't filming together. That they, that there's it's all over the shoulder shots, and uh, people, yeah. Uh, no. broken, uh, one more, I had, I had one more comment about the broken. Oh, that we owe it all to test audiences because it was used That's as right. a temp track, and the audiences loved it so much because I guess you know I don't give audiences enough credit because we you all know, Mike, agree. It's funny, there, Mike, there were a hundred, there were a hundred people there who got ninety nine percent. Uh, approval rating, and I was the one that said, "Get this! No, what the hell are we doing here with this fucking music?" Fuck you walked out with your Phoenix Sun shirt and just being like, <laughs> "Fucking sucked." I'm like, <laughs> throwing, the, throwing the Bulls hype music. Let's go. Yeah. Okay. Like, oh, the fucking the Alan Parsons project. Uh, <laughs> I want to recut that scene with like a bunch of different, like the Star Wars cantina music. Yeah, is playing. Oh, the All right, that's the bit I'm putting in the notes. Yes, that is what we'll be doing. Like, Dewey shows up. You hear the Alan Parsons like. Kind of like that Twitter thing where they have uh, Tony Soprano crying yes. to songs. Yes. Yes, we can have exactly. Dewey Dewey's theme. Exactly. I love like it. it. I like it. Your best submissions. I will say, mm. music-wise, this movie probably is one of the reasons. Well, look, yeah, it's why one of the reasons why I remember this movie so much is because I lived with it for years. Like I had the soundtrack to this movie and I lived with it. Like it Oops. was on me everywhere I went. Like, Let's talk about the soundtrack. All right. Oof. All right. So here we go. Because I said that I was in the Music Man, but the real Music Man <laughs> of this podcast is uh, Mike Vanderbilt. So Mike, talk to us. This sounds like such a cheap, hackneyed, like Access Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Mike, can you talk to us a little bit about the soundtrack? Well, I am a little <laughs> bit of a expert on this as I was working at Camelot Music in Chicago mm. Bridge Mall at the time. Camelot lives. Yeah, and I remember what the Scream 2 soundtrack coming in. It was released on November 18th, 1997, a Tuesday, because music used to get released on Tuesdays. Mm-hmm. That was mm-hmm. an industry thing. It hit number 50 on the Billboard 200. They had a cardboard Perfect. standee, I think, for it. I, I don't remember having the standee, but it was definitely on one of our listening stations where we had like the five CDs in there, and you could go up there and hit a button and ch- try before you buy. Uh, now, the original soundtrack never charted. And if you look at the, it, I think that the Scream soundtracks, and we're going to go into special, uh, we get into three, Oof, kind of God, are very, sucks. <laughs> but they're very indicative of what was going on in music yeah. at that time. Personally. And they come out every two years, which is why I'm convinced if Scream 4 had come out two years after Scream 3, that would have been the one that had the killers and the strokes. Totally. And mm-hmm. like that, that new punk or uh, indie rock movement. Of the 2000s. So the, the, the closing credits with a jump cut right to. 
Last night, she <laughs> said, Actually, that would be pretty uh, fun. So the, nice. first, the first one was a lot of uh, weirdo alternative uh, bands on the TVT roster. Like, I don't think they knew what they wanted to do with that soundtrack. So mm-hmm. you can tell, like, this one, you know, comes out November 18th, 1997. They've got, like, all the hottest artists. I mean, and I remember working in a record store at the time. Uh, at the time, it was released by Capitol Records. And, of course, the opening track is scream by master p and silk the shocker now okay let's talk hip-hop about this was never my thing but i want to ask you guys were you guys no limit soldiers no no i never i've never liked writer, master I'm p sorry. yeah yeah I, I think master p has done a lot of great stuff for the community over the last 20 years seriously look look at some of the great stuff he's done i think he's kind of in the, the p diddy situation though where you know you can produce and be, be an executive it doesn't mean that you're a good you know rapper performer and this falls into that category. I, well, I, I don't like look, the song. No Limit had a very, like, it was savvy. They, they, had a very they, they, they were able to get Snoop Dogg. They, that was a big deal. That was was, a and deal. that was only Snoop Dogg's third record, which is mm-hmm. kind of wild. But No Limit kind of, when you think of what a rap album cover looks like now, you're thinking of the No Limit aesthetic. That's very true. And they all had very like specific. really bad Photoshop, really oh, bright. awful. They were like the yeah. shittiest looking covers. <laughs> and he would just crank these artists oh, yeah. out like once a week. And I'll tell you, the people who came into Camelot, they were very loyal to the No Limit brand. And I always remember the CD cases weren't your standard CD cases. They'd mm-hmm. be like, Master P's uh, Ghetto D had a very bright orange yep. plastic spine. And they all kind of followed that template. So, uh, you know, mid-90s, mid, no limits, unstoppable. But look, and that's smart when you think about it. Like, it's just smart marketing because it's, yeah. it's going to stand out in the in the racks. It's like branding genius, yeah. It's yeah. a collect them all yeah. kind of vibe. Like, mm-hmm. uh, and, and now his brother is on this track. Uh, yeah, his brother, Silk the Shocker, uh, a.k.a. Vashon King Miller. And there was uh, an accompanying video featuring Grandfather Time. Now, my friend Kevin McCullough, Lives in L.A., moved out to L.A. in the late 90s and worked on some videos for Master P. And there was this one, I can't remember what song it was, but when Master P was giving notes, like it's Master P just being rich and having tigers and uh, his directions to Kevin were, and throw some Star Wars shit in there. Put Have some lasers coming out of the tiger's <laughs> eyes. And yes. I, there are lasers coming out of the tiger's <laughs> eyes in this video. And I, I, will, I will find it for you guys. And also Master P uh, destroyed their bathroom once. Oh wow, Jesus! Well, who <laughs> among wow. us has not? Uh, who who's not destroyed the bathroom in their time? <laughs> um, for God knows what reasons. I mean, okay. it's, so what, what about the thirteen reasons. tracks? So I have. So I did something this <laughs> morning that was that because I love this soundtrack so much, and it, I, I will say. Did you listen to the masterpiece song or did you skip past it? No, here's the thing. And I was going to say that because like I I listened, there would be a time where I'd be like, "Eh, I'll start back and listen to it again. But it was one of the tracks I would skip just because it starts out so annoyingly. It's just like the, oh. Which was his thing. That was making him say, oh, was masterpiece big hit. But I just remember, you know, if I'm walking around or if I was like skateboarding when I had like my CD player on and stuff, like I would just be like, okay, this is just, there's no beat to this like right now until it, it takes a while to get there. And so I would always go past it. But this was a soundtrack that was so eclectic and so random that it really did like, I mean, I leaned on soundtracks to find music at the time. What, you know, it wasn't like I'd go and read like Rolling Stone and spin like most people will say nowadays. And I, I was, I leaned on soundtracks. I, I was not cool. No, enough. I wasn't yeah. like that. So for me, it was this. And so I look back You're on those today, Halloween message boards. 
<laughs> yeah, I was. I was on the Halloween message board, and I was like, I'm going to go play all my soundtracks I like to these movies. Right. So, because you, Mike, but you said you ran, you went ahead and ranked. I did the, the songs of the Scream Two <laughs> so soundtrack. I did, yeah. So let's because, hear this. So, I, you know, when it came Laura's to where, where, where Laura's got one, her follow up ranking so immediately after. Where so, does this one fall on the list? So, so the the overall, uh, I start out with. I, I put 16 tracks on there because I included I, I included best, Hans Zimmer. By the way. Go so worst to best. Worst, best. Okay. worst is Ear 2000's The Race. I Correct. could not handle that. It's David Arquette. He's just doing some random stupid shit with like kind of like this weird sort of green jelly-esque type punk that oh, I don't like. Wow, you took you know, my they still, breath away with that reference. <laughs> there is a fan site that I put in my notes that it will send you guys for Ear 2000. And it's uh, lamenting that they're not going to be playing anymore because all the members of the band got to be popular. Here's an interesting fun fact. I thought that one of the band members is this gentleman, Sam Music. Mm. He is the son of Lorenzo Music, oh, the voice of Garfield. And uh, Real Ghostbusters, I believe. And Real it? Ghostbusters, yeah. yes. Oh, wow. We were in the, the weeds. Our we cat on the net is the name we of the website. The and that will bring you guys back to the GeoCities days like nobody's business. Uh. Uh. That, oh, that, third, that third window of AOL is calling you. Okay, yep. so what's the next? 15 is, because uh, I, again, I, I threw in an extra track here. Um, 15's Kelly, One More Chance. Never liked this song. Can't um, find anything out about who's on this track and who wrote no it. Kelly and T Smooth. Yeah. It's kind of got the, I like it though. It's got that slow jam, quiet storm thing going on that I dig, but I don't think I would have liked it at 17. It, years was, old. it was definitely the one I skipped the most for sure. Yeah. So then after that, 14, Cottonmouth King, Suburban Life. So, Here's a fun fact I'll tell you right now. Yeah. This um, is a fun when story. I went to Vegas for a bachelor, this is also just absolutely predictable. I went to Vegas for a bachelor party and we went to a strip club. Can you believe this is happening? And I remember we were there. <laughs> And all of a sudden, like, the record just stopped. And they were like, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to wherever we were, Cottonmouth Kings. And the Cottonmouth Kings came strolling through. <laughs> we were like, it's time wow. to go. <laughs> Big and little end. Did they carry like, a boombox like in this? Like, and, but I yeah. was like, I can't be seen here with Cottonmouth Kings. I can't, now, I can't do cat, it. This is kind of predicting what's going to come yes. for music, I think, particularly with the Screen 3 soundtrack. Yeah. eerily prescient. Yeah, because it was uh, what sublime styled ripoff that leaned heavy into hip hop. Yep, uh, so, I was predicting a very dark time in music. You are, <laughs> I agree with both of you one thousand percent. And I and I hated this track because of that, and because it reminded me of uh, the death of Randy. And I'd be like, no deal, I'm out. Remind you of of snakes and snakes. Uh, <laughs> snakes, snakes. I don't know, no snakes. Asps very dangerous. Yeah. So mm. thirteen masterpiece scream. Twelve tonics eyes of the sand. Let, now tonic that band you like you want to talk about like I, I i i always hated the uh their big hit which was if you could only see which hit in 97 it was very that it was a, like vertical horizon era kind oh, of you know all those bands just mid mid-tier yep. mor blended together to me post but grunge this, yeah post grunge yeah vh1 early buzz or whatever it was like eight uh, o'clock in the morning you know or hearing uh like uh, i guess you'd hear this maybe on you wouldn't maybe Q101, but definitely eventually it would make its way to the mix 101.9. Yeah. But they were on the X Files album. Yep. They covered Everybody's Talking for the Clay Pigeon soundtrack. And finally, finally, Tonic <laughs> covered, was it Harry Nilsson did Everybody's Talking, yeah. I think? 
finally we got tonic to finally make good on that harry <laughs> yeah. nelson song but revisiting it like i kind of i like this song a lot more than i uh, expected to because yeah. i never was into tonic or had any desire to look further into tonic's catalog no going forward all these tracks i i, I actually just genuinely love it's the the ones okay, that we've we asked go. already sure. are kind of like meh nick cave's red right hand the spooky mix which actually the way they use it in this is genuinely eerie yeah, I like the way they use it in this also. Like, it's playing in the theater, right? Yeah, well, then, but then later on when they go to CeCe's murder, and it's really eerie how it's just, it's almost like it's playing on speakers outside somewhere, but it's not. It's not diegetic. It's it's actually over the movie, and it's really eerie. Like, I, I was, it, it kind of sounds like, um, it reminds me of, like, in the scene in War of the Worlds in 2005 when they get to the dock and they're, like, playing, like, you know, opera music or something like that. It's, like, this, like, disturbing scene that you're seeing, and yet his music's just booming and it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's very eerie. I liked it, how they use it. 10 Foo Fighters, Dear Lover, kind of a forgettable uh, track, but it's still it good. Was a this is the, now we're entering the era of like when all these big bands were just giving off their, like, their yeah. leftovers, like, yeah, eh, this isn't good enough for our album, but you know, Which let me throw it on there. It's notable because I believe it was, uh, what, what I have written down here. Let me look at my notes. Well, they were also on the, the X-Files soundtrack, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Right. One of the reviews for it uh, said it was basically a collection of songs that weren't good enough to go on these artists. Yeah. Well, definitely like one yeah. I could agree with some it, of it's, stuff. It's just as a sidebar, it's funny that you mentioned the X-Files soundtrack, because that's where I discovered Nick Cave, actually, mm. was because mm. they had Red Right Hand on that soundtrack, too. And that was I went and got really, really into Nick Cave when I was like 11 or 12 years old as a result of the X-Files A very formative soundtrack. period, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This one was recorded uh, during the sessions for The Color and the Shape and uh, was released as it featured as a bonus track on uh, the Japanese release. Fun fact that actually that song, Dear Lover, was written for MTV Rap's uh, Ed Lover. You know, good (laughs) to know. Good to know. Uh, Hold on, I got to take that that bit off my wall. All right, (laughs) go for it. Yeah, I got the... Okay, continue. Where are you keeping all the little uh, punchy pins? I'm I'm taking them off the tack. I'm catching the paper and throwing them down. Next song, next song. Uh, So number nine, Sugar Ray Rivers, which actually sounds like a Weezer. It sounds like a Weezer song. So you know, you initially got Weezer for this. It's a tribute to Weezer. I I thought, I thought, because it's called Rivers. So it's it's written as an ode to Rivers. Cuomo, you know, lead singer mm-hmm. of Weezer, and I like this song. I, I always like. I always like Sugar Ray. I think Sugar Ray maybe gets a bad rap. I mean, it's it's. Oh, I would I would remove the maybe. You think they do get a bad rap? No, I, I'm kidding. No, Brownie. Um, uh, what is it? Lemonade and Brownies is like a really good album. That's mm. a, that's when they were doing real heavy stuff, yeah. but they really kind of graduate into like pure pop perfection like answer to phone mm-hmm. uh, which is a later era one for him like apes like late 70s early 80s power pop so perfectly and i think it's because as we know from his appearances on <laughs> rock and roll jeopardy the man knows his way around oh, pop yeah. music yeah and well, i have no feelings on sugar ray yeah he, 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 he's <laughs> been terrific at the mar-a-lago area if you want to go down to the mar-a-lago <laughs> resorts he's there for new year's every year I, we wish him all the best he's of got, luck next hey, next, next, next song good, there's some good tunes yeah next song yeah. uh number eight john spencer blues explosion right place wrong time used oh, great God. in this no <laughs> sorry some of these songs just have such a like connotation for me of like my childhood and the 90s and just like this horrible time in my life and i'm just i think that's why i struggle with the scream soundtracks in general is i'm just like oh like, I, I can feel the cat like ill-fitting khakis that i was wearing like, I, it's just, like, everything is well, just oh right too real for me that song i mean it's it's a cover song 
And that originally, I believe it originally seventy three by yes, Doctor John by Doctor John, and it is and on, by Mark Rebenick, Doctor John himself. It's on the Days Confused Volume Two soundtrack. I believe. Mm, yes, yeah. And the line in the song "Just Need a Little Brain Cell Surgery Got the Cure to My Insecurity" is slang for fellatio. Oh, I don't slang for lobotomies. Probably <laughs> yeah. both. You know, um, oh. better a, a dick in front of me than a frontal about him. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with right, this. Seven. That sounds like a Codmouth Kings line. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> peak era for this band, uh, Dave Matthews Band, Help Myself. Hey, listen, um, I'll tell you right no. now, folks. Listen, I'm I love right this now. song. I, I, I can't I, Band. I don't I, like them. I really loved Dave Matthews Band those mm-hmm. early years. Oh. I, I did. I have to tell you. Right Before now, These really Crowded did. Streets is a fucking great album. I can't, I can't was... deny. I, I, I embrace it. I don't like this song, though. Uh, I like this one. I, I want to talk about Dave Matthews real quick, because I remember working at Camelot Music. There was an older chick who was in like, all the cool alternative music at the time, but she was also at Dave Matthews. And I think people forget that before they became, you know, soft pop darlings, like they yeah. were considered cool. And well, they were indie different. Rock, that was the thing, will, I think, Toby. And I mean... in, some, in some circles. Now, this band had planned on contributing their song Halloween mm-hmm. to the Scream 2 soundtrack. Which is on, speaking of the Before These Crowded Streets. Yeah. But they second-guessed themselves and decided to keep it for Before These Crowded Streets, which was coming out in April of 98, just That's months away. And the track features longtime collaborator Tim Reynolds, Tim Reynolds. on mandolin. Yeah. Now, did you have that, uh, Tim Reynolds? And Dave, Everyone Dave, in you college. You know I had that album. fucking <laughs> album, Vanderbilt. You know I had that blue, the blue. Yeah, it was blue. And, it played at Camelot incessantly. Yeah. Oh, God. I had it. Laura's, already, Laura's left the Zoom screen. Yeah, she's just I, done. I, yeah, my soul has left my body. I'm sorry. These are just, I, I'm telling you, I am not trying to, to yuck your yums. <laughs> um, I, I just, I have such specific associations with all of these bands in this period of time in my life when I was being like relentlessly bullied at Catholic school. Oh, and it's no. just like, this is what all those kind so of kids like would be playing. And, oh, oh, this I, was I, frat I, rock like nobody's uh, business, guess, which is yeah. why I See, think that's it's perfect thing. on this soundtrack. Because it's very it's indicative. That scene. It feels yeah. like yeah. that college. Oh, it, it does. It does. It just like, what's the song that's playing at the end of CeCe's death real quick? Like, oh, that's, that, I'm going to yeah. get to that. I'm going to get to that. Okay. Okay. And that is, I agree one, with you, though. Please, that is definitely. Put a, start it when you get to yeah. it. I have <laughs> this, right, one, this, this Dave Matthews tune, though, makes me pine for the days when this is what, this was kind of sort of college rock. Because mm-hmm. now I just assume college kids all listen to like shitty country music. Uh, that and I think it's a lot of like obvious hip hop sometimes. Yeah. You know? All right, well, six, had to throw it in there for Justin. Hans Zimmer, secure. <laughs> I mean, Wade you know. Eddie's twangy guitar. Yeah. I love Hans Zimmer. Mike, you and I saw Hans I know, Zimmer we did. live we a couple saw years him. ago. Incredible we were crying career. watching it. It was great. Um, um, really stu- great, great stuff. Okay, so then five. I've, I've, made my, I've said my piece. Yeah, yeah. Five, D'Angelo, she's always in my hair. Love this song. Now, let's talk about this one for a minute, because I love the production on this one. Yep. This song is so cool, but like you can't. Talk about it without talking. This is written by Purple. Prince back when he was still a symbol. Yeah. Or at least I, I, rather when they credit it, because mm-hmm. this song was released in. Hold on. Let me, let me consult my my Prince notes. Was it written to the Joy Fantastic? No, it was written by Prince, originally formed by Prince in a revolution, released oh. in 85. Oh, 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 oh this okay. Is Prince okay. era then. Proper as Prince. a beat, yes, but like he's credited as the symbol in the credits for Scream. Because mm, okay. at that point he was, yes, that makes yeah. sense. So it was the B-side to Raspberry Beret, and it was also the B-side to Paisley Park, depending on which single you picked up. And it was, But it was also featured on his 1993 B-sides compilation that if you bought the set, it came with the hits one and two mm-hmm. and the B-sides. Like two or three 
um, versions of that collection would, or something. Why would like D'Angelo cover this then? So random. Oh, I think because he was he was coming up like he was he was part of that neo soul movement yeah. that you had. Yeah, uh, Maxwell, Lord around, Hill. How, how does it feel? Is around this time. Well, he right. had just he had just released Brown Sugar. So yeah. like, well, I mean, well, two years beforehand. But he was well, years Mike, away from wanna, Voodoo. Like, you want to hold your one. best stuff for your own albums. You yeah, know? yeah. Which, I mean, sense. look, I doubt he had tracks for Voodoo yet at this point. It's 97. I mean, it's 2000 is an album. Maybe he had some early stuff. It's an interesting time for him because he's still, yeah, you're right. He hadn't really broken out yet. But anyways. I can remember, how does it feel? Is it after this movie, I guess? Anyway, we'll, 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 yeah. we'll do a D'Angelo discussion <laughs> in the next episode. <laughs> what well, a probably, great tune, though. What a great tune. And I think D'Angelo fucking nails it. Yeah, I do, too. Sure. Four. Uh, another cover, Lesson Jake's. I think I love you. I love this so, cover. Love this, this is cover. All right. Um, I knew you were not going to like this one. You know, I'm out. <laughs> I hate this. I've, I've always been out on Lesson Jake. This is that that. It, no, not for me. So, okay. I, did, I did like this song probably when it came out. I think mm-hmm. I, I had a period where I liked a lot of like pop punk, like waves, fast sounding crap, you know. Um, but at this point in my life, if I hear it again, <laughs> I just feel sweaty and nauseous. I need to lay down. <laughs> I just love well, it. It's, it's I, I, got the, I love the melody in it. I tell you what, I, it was written the the original. Well, because that was written by Tony Romeo, who is a world class songwriter through the sixties and seventies. Was a number one hit for the Partridge Family mm-hmm. in November David, and David Cassidy of nineteen seventy. But I'm as far as me. like the third wave ska thing, so we all talk about like the only band out of that era who I still like, who I was really into, were the Mighty Mighty Boston. I knew you were going to say Mighty Mighty sure. Boston. I, I had some great, dan- we had some sound, great dances, you know. They're more, they're like more of a swing kind of like revival. They sound less like some of the other, less, less than, than Jake. Yeah. They were more like a rock and roll band with horns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Whereas totally. like stuff like Mustard Plug and St. Ferris was uh, a little too pop punk. Well, hold on which, though. I will say if you want better ska covers, 10 Things I Hate About You, speaking of St. Ferris. Oh uh, yeah. yeah, no, of course. Yeah. covers. Yeah. I just, I love when I, I mean, I think a lot of it is for me is just, A, I love the chorus. I love how it kicks in at the end of this movie. The dun, 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 dun. It just seems so. Oh, God. I'm getting, I now, now I'm like getting it. shingles like Laura's getting. Like, okay. Well, yeah, you know, I think the top three is a lot better. The top three is oh, here a lot we go. better. Here we go. Here so, we number go. three, this is the song you were mentioning before, Laura. Everclear is the swing, which I think is a great song. That's a great cut too when he yep. wipes off the knife yep. and it goes right to the party like that's where never I appreciate what they're doing with it and everything but that I find it so like blech. like I just like the way that it cuts from because it's one of the most brutal deaths in the film oh, it is. and it's yeah. peak Sarah Michelle Gellar yep. who will always have my heart and then she's just laying dead and they cut to this like frat party I don't it it's like there's it's something rude. about it that's so it is it's rude it's like you know <laughs> it, and like I don't know it just rubs me the wrong way and I just again it's not that I I'm not commenting on the song I'm I'm commenting on my emotional reaction. Yeah. To it's to like it. somebody recently showed the uh, when after was it Queen Amidala or Princess Amidala dies and, and oh, Star Wars the C three PO and it's, <laughs> it's a weird screen wipe into C three PO's bright face. Yes, it's one of those yeah. moments where you're just like, give me a moment to process here, yes. please. Like Buffy is dead. I need a moment. <laughs> That's a moment I feel like feels very much like the first scream with mm-hmm. that cut into a loud rock and roll song, yeah. mm-hmm. and it feels like the movie is really going to uh, take off. But for me, it it really doesn't. As much, but I do love that cut, like right in that. So great I, cut. I like it. Number two, tough quarter for Sarah Michelle Geller, by the way. Uh, she had died uh, only, a, I think, two, maybe a month ahead, a month and a half ahead. With uh, I know you did last I summer. I know you did last summer. Yeah. Another cruel yeah. death in that one too. Oh. Yeah. Stone Cold Fox also yeah. belongs to my heart <laughs> yep. through that yeah. era. Oh, I w- I had the milk ad of her on my uh, my my door in my locker. Was obsessed Maroon. with Buffy. Obsessed with Buffy. 
I was a, I mean, I was a Buffy was my thing. The Buffy soundtrack, we could have a whole. Oh yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ! That was playing over and over on Uh, my disc. Featuring guided by voices. Yes, Mm -hmm. Yes. let's just say I was at the bronze every night. Well, they were. That was also (laughs) that soundtrack was also at the bronze. That soundtrack was also a TVT release. Who had released the soundtrack to the original Scream? And TVT, of course, did do the collapse. Do the collapse and one of my favorite isolation drills. We'll talk. We, we have to do a separate Patreon yeah. exclusive about Guy by Voices. Let's continue on. Okay. So I, the last two are really hard, and they're almost interchangeable. Number two, though, I ultimately went with the Eels' "Lucky Day in Hell." I love this song so Eels much. It's actually appeared no, in Dead like Man and Campus. Yeah. It's a Dead great Man song. It did. It, it, it appears in that. And that I know. That, it's just a weird, yeah. weird era. It know? is a very weird era. But I love this song, and uh, I love the White ears. people in the college. Eels, the Eels are great. <laughs> the era. That's a band I tried to get into so many times and just never could. You never hey. wore a hoodie and sunglasses, guy. Though to be fair, no. <laughs> hey, they brought back Steve Perry a few years ago to, right. to sing That's to right. play with them. Good, good for them. And number one, it had to be. This is I. I, I am a. I, I, I am an unapologetic. Collective soul fan, and I think she said is oh, the fee- is a great number one. That's yeah, number one. That is my number one with a bullet. Get the fuck with out a, yes. a bullet. <laughs> this song is so easily the best song on this. And, and it's funny because they they somehow the upgrade this. They, they nobody upgrade. remembers Collective Soul. Everybody thinks they're they're when they think of Collective Soul, they want to say Soul Asylum. No, 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 no. when they say Soul Asylum, a much better band. Sing a bar of it for me, so I can. Well, here's the thing. I, I, I thought no, I thought no, the no. lyric when I was growing, I thought the lyric was like shrimp on fried rice. Oh, it's a, <laughs> you never understand what they're saying. Yeah, it's I think it's actually uh, and she will survive or she will do right. Yeah, it's, it's a perfect anthem for Sydney. And then what's great about it is that. They actually added strings because they originally wanted Bittersweet Symphony by The Verve, and they couldn't afford it. It sounds like it. It It does. Well, hold on a second. I want to say something about this because once Derek serenades Sydney, you do hear those strings kick in that sounds just close enough to Bittersweet Symphony. I had forgot that. I thought it was in it for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, I think, and that's a really good song, you know, as much as it got played out, I, I think it would have it would have hit better for me. I just any band that has that sound of like, I personally do it. This, I get I'm it. sorry. You know, <laughs> it's part, a quiet part taste. of my resistance to this franchise was this, the, the song choices in it, because I just was like and a lot of movies of this era was like every goddamn scene have pops playing over it it has like maybe a loose thematic tie to what's going on because like, yeah. one lyric was like he had an f and like everything it's just like <laughs> i just i'm like i find it so drink it takes me out of the experience give me a fucking soundtrack give me diegetic music give me a pop song over the credits oh. but that's just me this, oh. does, this does feel like a sound collage it really but does I, I love that and yeah. i i kind of missed the days when Movies had an original soundtrack with either, like we talked about, B-sides that the band kind of threw together, or like in the case of something like Fright Night, which is always my go-to, like the songs were written specifically for the movie. movie Fright Night works, because, I I don't know, that that doesn't hit my brain in the same way as it does in these 90s Because you weren't going through through these horrible times in the ill-feeding khakis. I don't know, uh, perhaps. Upon the release of Fright Night. I was too too young. I I I was happy. I was collecting stickers and eating... Rolls. Collecting stickers, I love it. I, I used to Collecting get the puffy stickers. ones. Mm, yeah, but I, I agree with you, Laura. I was <laughs> raising my three grandchildren in 1985. At that point, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. you were coming home from your job in the city, uh-huh. h- hiking up, hiking up your pants. Well, that's back short, when you could retire sleeved. young. You know, I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. you were like attending like uh, you know World War II reunions at the you know the war the memorials. VFW. Yeah, the VFWs. Yeah. Go straight over to the, the, the theater. 
But uh, yeah, I, I agree with Laura in the sense because like it is very hit and miss in this era because you look at like the American Pie movies and it's or even like oh, Adam Sandler's God. Big Daddy and it's no. nothing but a revolving music video. It's just like yeah. nonstop. It's like berating that's, you. Yeah. But. And that's I mean, it's uh, maybe I am ex- you're watching me experience PTSD right now. Like this is maybe I'm just having such a, a visceral reaction to it because of all this. But that that exactly what you're talking about, where it's like, let's have another montage with yeah. a song playing over it. Like, I'm like, I hate it. I hate it. But there's <laughs> rarely a quiet m- moment in this movie, which mm. is kind of fun in a way because it does keep it going because it's a long movie. It's two hours. And it, it is very long. And I so was... it does keep things going. And that's why I think like, you know, a scene like with David Warner kind of stands out because you're like oh shit there's like no music here <laughs> like what the fuck like that never what, happened. what do i do what do i do yeah, like, <laughs> do, I, do, I, do i look at the screen <laughs> um i need my cotton know, knock kings one yeah. more song we, we didn't talk about though it's not on the soundtrack oh. take away the fear written and performed by jessica craven and mike mancini of course are either of those people related to west craven or don mancini jessica craven is west craven's daughter ah ah cute you know, I had this whole other thing. We were going to talk about all the great soundtracks from the 90s to compare it to this, but that's just not going to happen now. We're going to move Aww. on. <laughs> yeah. Unless we're, you want to make this... two hours and four minutes, we, th- that is a good. It is a good idea because I, I wondered, because we are at the two-hour mark. It is something to consider because that, that we do have a lot to go. You know what? Should I just... Is this two episodes and I just talk about these albums real quick? If yeah. nobody has anything to do, I could do it real quick. No, I let's do it. I got, I'm here. Laura's like, please, Jesus, don't talk about the, <laughs> don't talk hey, about the Magnolia soundtrack. Me How meta would it be the, for us to talk about the meta sequel and have a sequel within for the episode? Mm. I love the meta sequel. That the meta sequel is part, or, or well, wait, are we talking about? Never mind. I was going to say the movie Stab is one of my favorite parts of this movie. Is the st- movie within the movie? Oh, we'll be talking the... about Stab. Okay. Fine. Uh, but you know what? Meta is whatever you mean you want it to be to sound smarter. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's very meta, man. It's like, it's the Vinny line from Google Hunting. The, it's just life. Oh. You know, meta's life. <laughs> okay, deep. real quick here. Because I think, Mike, was it you or was it Sammy who said that she thought this was the greatest soundtrack of all time? She thinks it's one of the greatest soundtracks of all time, yeah. All right. I'm sorry, we're, Sammy. I still yeah, love you. Yeah. But where do you stand on this, Mike? In terms of the, I, 90, I, the 90s, the 90s. Well, it's 90s weird because soundtracks. when you look at 90s soundtracks, you know, Days and Confused is up there. Sure. You get The 100%. Crow. Love that soundtrack. Great, great soundtrack. For me, though, I, I mean, if I'm being honest, like, this is, like I said, this was in my rotation. Like, with the faculty... And like the Romeo and Juliet soundtrack, which is my number one of all time. That's a great soundtrack. I did. I had that too. I, I, I just wore that. Soundtrack. I wore that down so much I had to buy it again. And I'm not, I know people always say that, but that actually happened with me. <laughs> Granted, a lot of that is because they would fall out of my backpack all the time. But this was in rotation for years. And that's why I, when we get to Scream 3, I'll to go just off on it because like, oh, God. it was so hard for me to <laughs> like not have a soundtrack. Cause I, I love the first Scream soundtrack too. I had that on CD also, but this one especially just, hit all the right spots because it's so eclectic like you could have you have so many different sounds that it made sense to keep revisiting it again and again and again um do i think it's one of the best soundtracks in this one? Uh, no but i but i can i do think it's one of my favorite soundtracks for sure okay that's yeah. i like that the, the yeah. best versus favorite because yeah. favorite is obviously so specific right it's yes. like yeah yeah okay um spin had a pretty good top 25 soundtracks from the 90s i kind of like these let's let's go through memory lane why not why? No. <laughs> We're two hours in. Who gives a shit anymore? <laughs> um, let's just run it down. 1995, Goodwill Hunting, Elliot Smith, terrific Oof. stuff. All right. Good stuff. My fa- I think that might be my favorite Oscar winner for original song. 
Easily the most awkward Oscar performance. Uh huh. Okay. Oh, he Wait, didn't which, win though. Which did Elliot he? Smith song was it? Uh, Miss Misery was the big one, I think, mm, from that. Oh, yeah, because right, he was nominated. Right, yeah. He didn't win because My Heart Will Go On won. Yeah. Yeah. Unstoppable, that one. Uh, unstoppable, all right. Number 24, Poison Hood soundtrack. Oof, great yeah. album. Pretty good, pretty mm-hmm. good. Yeah. That's coming right off of uh, NWA, as a matter of fact. Wayne's World soundtrack. Had it, loved it. Had it. Loved that one. Yeah. Take a long, long ride with yourself. <laughs> That's where I learned to hate the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Uh, oh, yeah. formative year for Mike. Sick of Mechanico or whatever. Oh, I hated that fucking stupid fucking song. I did too. Yeah. It's <laughs> Here's something, song. and I look, I agree with this. I think the Batman Forever and Batman Robin soundtracks are really good. I they are. They oh, are. those are good. No, Man, those are those good. Are Batman good. Forever has the edge. I agree. Batman and Robin. You got, Except that Smashing Pumpkin song off 97s is That's a really good Oof. song. That's a really good song on the Batman Robin. Wait, you're saying you don't like that song, Mike? No, I do. That's oh, not fucking rules. Okay, that no, sounds like great. That, yeah. but, it's, but the movie sucks. Oh, it's awful. But Batman Forever, you got, obviously, Kiss from a Rose. You got mm-hmm. PJ Harvey, Mazzy Star. I love Kiss from a Rose. U2, the U2 song. You got Bad Days from Flaming Lips. It's really good. Those are um, a lot of those soundtracks yeah. did introduce me to like, like things that were cool. Like I would have yeah. never known who PJ Harvey was. Like, you exactly. Know? I agree. Yeah. I think all those people were on Warner Brothers, too. So it's kind of Warner Brothers saying, hey, let's, let's, let's advertise our oh, indie artists. Yeah. You know I mean? It was it's just fun. like what TVT what? was doing with Scream. You know, I'm not familiar with the Suburbia soundtrack, but it's got like Pavement and Elastica and Sonic Youth on it. Jesus. Great soundtrack. Yeah, had that one. That Thing You Do. Come on. Eh, oh, yeah. It's yeah. At, currently on the Good jukebox song. at the Rock Island Public House, and nobody's gotten sick of it yet. Fun <laughs> song. Dead Man, not, not familiar with the soundtrack. Oh, the Dead uh, Man Walking? No, no, Dead Man, the Jim Jarmusch. Jim Jarmusch uh, movie. Yeah, it's uh, Neil Young. Yes, he's yes, he contributed to that. Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me. Mm-hmm. Oof. Yeah, it's a weird one to put on there because it's mostly yeah, it's, instrumental stuff, and then yeah. you get the Angel, the song that we always make fun of. That that. I got a bad rant. The one that we always like. I got a real indication. Been this to society. Great movie. I love, love that movie. That's one of, my, uh, one of my favorite uh, movies of all time. Who's uh, what, what her name is? The brothers who did that? Scar, Hughes brothers. Uh, the Hughes brothers. Sklar brothers. The Scar brothers. The Scar brothers. Is that what you said? The Duffer brothers. The Duffer because brothers. Did, what uh, happened to the Hughes brothers though? Because they did like From Hell and then Dead know, Presidents. What a yeah. great oh, fucking movie. That, that movie is. rules. I love. That I need to see that. I wasn't a big. I thought that was a not a great follow up. I got to maybe rewatch that. Okay, let's run through these real quick here. The Lion King. Perfect. Oh yeah. R- Romeo and Juliet, both versions of the oh, soundtrack. That should be higher. That's yeah. Rushmore, great soundtrack. Great soundtrack. Yeah. Jesus. Never before Christmas doesn't count. That's more of a musical. Come on. I agree. Folks. I mean, yeah. same yeah. thing with Pan King. Those are music. Yeah. 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 Come on. Get him out of here. Get him out of here. You mentioned earlier the, the, go. the Crow soundtrack is so yeah. good. It should be in it top is. 10. It That's is. bullshit. That's, it should be yeah. in the top 10. Well, then, but it was a good, it was a good decade. Yeah. Well. Old fiction. Great soundtrack. Oh, great. One of my favorites. Yeah. That, that would be, might, might be my number one. Right, here's something that I think is a little controversial. You know what? Now, now I'm looking at the soundtrack. It's not. It's not controversial. Belly, <laughs> great soundtrack. Oh, no, yeah. You're, you're talking about peak DMX. Is that like '99 though? Yeah, no, it's '98. Yeah, it's... '98. Oh, '98. Okay. Peak DMX, Nas, Method Man. Yeah, Jay Z's on here. Yeah, it's pretty good. Oh, and D'Angelo's on here too. Hmm. Voodoo was 2000, by the way. It was after Scream Two. How's everybody doing out there? Let's uh, <laughs> talk about Scream Two. <laughs> N- number nine. It's part of it. Number nine, until the end of the world. Soundtrack, the Wim Wenders movie. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, a deep bench. R.E.M., Depeche Mode, Lou Reed. It's pretty mm. good. Okay. Uh, you two. Okay. All right. This is some. This is some <laughs> clickbait stuff here. Number eight, the Street Fighter soundtrack. Bullshit. 
There's no way. I can see got, Mortal Kombat being on there, but the Street Fighter soundtrack? Give me a fucking well, break. Well, because, you know, Nas is on it. LA, a little Cool J's on it. You know, no but really, nobody's talking about this soundtrack. More people own the Street Fighter movie game than they did the Street Fighter movie soundtrack. I've like, watched the Chris I didn't Klein even know it had a soundtrack. I've watched the Chris Klein performance from Legend of Chun-Li more on YouTube. <laughs> uh, all right, number seven, Magnolia soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, sure. Of course, Amy Mann. Yeah, good soundtrack. Uh, Boogie Nights is better. but Well, yeah. Uh, much better. Uh, six, well, the, I don't like Magnolia the movie at all. Number six, Judgment Night. This is the easily the Great. peak of rap rock. Great this soundtrack. This is the peak of it. It should have just stopped in 1993. I agree. <laughs> Train spotting. Oh, is, is that five? Number five, yeah. But I'm telling you, it was a good decade, Matt, because number four, Above the Rim, Pretty oh, the good. Great, yeah. Regulate. Come on. Number three, waiting to exhale. Whitney Houston. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's it, yeah. I think a lot of that goes into like my, my my mom had that, so I listened to that like nonstop. But you got, but you got like it's the Mary J. Blige. Oh, so I know it's the Franklin. It's a pretty good soundtrack. Right. But it's a good soundtrack. Number two, Natural Born Killers soundtrack. Ah, uh, come on. That's, That's too 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 high. Yeah. Much too um, high. Number one. Here we go. Let me guess. Mike, what is it? Bodyguard. Singles. Singles. Oh yeah. Nope. That's that's a good that's a good uh, good pick. That's fair. Flawless album. Flawless. The bodyguard album. soundtrack did not make this list. The bodyguard. I had the bodyguard. So that's a pretty. Those some pretty good songs. I didn't think they were going to yeah, include singles. The most memorable one to me. I, I honestly didn't think they were every woman singles. cover. Queen of the night. And that what's that one song that Dolly Parton wrote? Uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, Nick Lowe. Nick Lowe became a millionaire overnight because of that soundtrack. Because mm. uh, Curtis Steiger's covered "What's So Funny About Peace, Love, and Understanding," wow. which nobody really remembers off that soundtrack, despite it being a pretty good cover. But since he had the songwriting uh, royalties, he just made you know you know a couple couple pennies every time that record sold. Wow. But That's the dream. That's for the dream. and for nobody bought nobody fucking listened to that no. song. Well, I'll tell you what. It's the beauty of legal America. Yeah, the beauty of America itself. I'll tell you something though. Sick fucks. Ah, 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 ah. Before we get to those characters, we're going to have to have a sequel to the sequel. And no, I'm not talking about Scream 3. I'm talking about we're going to have to have a part two for part two of Scream, in which we're going to talk a lot more about, (laughs) finally, the cast of the movie, the killers, the makeup, our favorite kills, uh, the references. And our final thoughts. And if you had on your bingo card that Scream 2 would be the longest episode, you might be right. Because we had to split it into two for the love of God. So until next time, I'll be right This is the end of our show, for now. Tune in next week. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, Nightmare on Film Street, and more.